Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Kingdom of Honor. And uh, you're here with uh, Zanman Shansabuni, the King of Expatriates, along with my buddy, Honorable Jeff. And uh, as usual, Skype problems. So, but at least, at least, we're, at least we're both on. It's <laughs> obvious that this is going to be a train wreck. <laughs> but I guess that ha- that's obvious even before we start, isn't it? And then you hear my toddler in the background. No, I hear nothing. I don't hear him yelling about anything back there. No, nothing, nothing. He just wants to be covered up because he's a diva. Oh, okay. You know, I, th- I think that's a parent feel right there. I mean, how can he be three years old and you haven't taught him how blankets pull up yet? Oh, he knows. He knows. Okay. He, he's a diva. He's a diva. Well, that also... And I'm a sucker. Cool. And I'm a sucker. I can't say no. And why should you have to, really? Well, it's only a, he's only three. I'm not going to say no until I have to keep him at home when he's trying to bust out the bathroom window so he can go have a drink or three. Uh, yeah, hopefully that won't be for many years. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping so, too. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't happen when he's five. Yeah, that would be good. Well... I mean, judging by who his mom is, I guess she really wouldn't know for sure that was that wouldn't happen. But <laughs> I didn't say that. Say what? Leave the Pez dispenser alone. <laughs> huh. I, anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what the hell I do with my laptop table. So what I'm thinking is we should probably tell everybody about our lists for next week. Well, you're, you're always on my list. Well, I understand. I mean, I get that. But there's another list. Oh, the list of Jericho, right? Actually, about eight of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so next week we will be um, probably going long, which would be a big surprise to all of our listeners. <laughs> And we'll be doing a kind of a year in review where we give our awards out, and we'll and uh, Jeff, we'll each we'll each uh, basically leave our top five in each category, um, assuming that Jeff can actually uh, narrow his list down to five. Oh, the match of the year is the one I'm having the hardest. I think I got it down to fifteen now. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, so we're so we're going to list off we're each going to list off our top five matches of the year, and uh, wrestler of the year, and. Um, show of the year. I don't know. A bunch of other ones I had said, but I can't remember them all off the top of my head right now. Well, and keep in mind, too, that this is not going to be your normal rating system. Like, we're not going to go and say, oh, this guy had by far the best match ever. We're going to go with the ones that entertained us the most. You know, we're not going to go with our wrestler of the year may or may not be who everybody thinks is the wrestler of the year. Right. That's a good point. It's just this is who entertained us the most, who gave us the most joy throughout the year, who, uh, you know, as who we think, you know, was the most improved, who we thought was the best wrestler in our eyes that did the most with what he had, you know, who put on the best matches, the ones that we felt the most about. You know, it's not going to be. And and in my particular case, it might be the wrestler that I feel did the most for the industry in the year. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's a possibility. I I haven't really looked at mine completely yet. I think everybody kind of knows where I'm leaning because we've been on it all year long. But um, it's you know like my wrestler of the year is not going to be Kenny Omega. I'll say that right now. And you know when you look at what the industry looks at for when they decide wrestlers of the year, is there anybody other than maybe Seth Rollins that had a better year than Kenny Omega? Um. I guess you could argue Austin Aries. You could argue it, but I think the fact that he only had a solid four or five months, he didn't have a full solid year. Yeah, but, start, yeah, yeah but Omega took time off too. Well, it's not that he took time off. He started it in one of the worst feuds in the history of, of NXT by not being able to get over Neville. Uh, it, then he... That was last year, dude. No, that was this year, wasn't it? No, it was last year. I don't remember. Neville was on the shelf for almost a year. I did not. You know, that's the problem. My years run together. We'll blame that. that, That's why you thought Marty Scurll might be the wrestler of the year this year, when it really should have been more towards last year. Well, yeah, and I I mean, he's not my wrestler of the year. He's in my top five because I think he had a hell of a good year. Yeah, he might be in my top 15, 20. Well, yeah, you like I said, it's all subjective. Yeah, it, it is subjective. It's it's up, but uh, it's objective subjectivism. So. Right, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I really do have some narrowing down to do because uh, I had three matches that happened on Friday night that could possibly be match of the year for me. Yeah, we talked about that really earlier, and I, and I rewatched one of them that you and I think are going to have a bit of a debate, debate about, and, and uh, it still didn't climb to the five-star level for me. You don't think so? I, I... No. And in, fact, I, and in fact, I rewatched another one of them, and I'm not sure I still have that one at five stars. So, uh, Maybe I'll have to go back and rewatch them then, because I – and it could have been when I was watching them, the time of the night, you know, the fact that I was exhausted. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that could have gone into it, but it, it's – I also, unlike, unlike you, you kind of look at matches as a match. I look at the storyline leading up, the, the little things that go on on the outside of the match, you know, not just the match when I give my rating system. So sure. there's times that I will rate a match higher or lower based on whatever story they were telling outside the ring. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so so that's, what, that's, that's what we have in store for next week. For next week, so we actually will be going live on Christmas Eve. I don't, you know, some of you guys might be traveling, some of you guys might be doing who knows what, you know, opening presents with your family. But we will be here to listen to whenever you guys get around to it. And then the week after on New Year's Eve, because we still, because neither one of us have lives, we we will be uh, not celebrating the New Year, but we will actually be going live to preview for you Wrestle Kingdom. And then that Saturday, there will be a Wrestle Kingdom review special. Because I want Jeff to get absolutely no sleep at all that weekend. And that would be different from what? Well, sometimes you get like an hour of sleep or so. Maybe half. Yeah. Depends on on the children. And Susan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Susan, too. Um. I can't remember what I was going to say now. Oh, then, oh, then, then, and then, uh, we, no, we did look, we are, I was looking at Fight TV earlier today, and, and they did have announced some 
And while the NWA has announced some title matches now for their pop-up event, uh, New Year's Clash, I think it's called, um, they, they have not announced anything being on Fight TV. So I think we might luck out and not have to cover a fourth wrestling show that weekend. <laughs> I, I don't know that I could. I think we're already... <laughs> When I heard that event was coming up and then saw the matches that were going to be on it, I was like, oh, my God, I have to watch this now. And I, I'm looking at it going, when the hell am I going to have time? There's, we've already got 15 hours of the weekend eaten up by the matches that are there. Well, I'm not, I'm not actually that uh, jazzed about the matches they've announced so far. I mean, Alley versus Jazz is fine, but James Storm versus Nick Aldis, yeah. And then, and then Matt Cross, I mean, I, I really like the uh, Son of Havoc character in Usha Underground, but Matt Cross himself as a, as just the, you know, the, the just as Matt Cross doesn't do anything for me whatsoever. So for him to be facing Willie Mack, I wasn't that excited about either. I, I am and I'm not. I want, I want to see what he can do outside of the Lucha world. <clears throat> so well, I am. All, well, you saw that at All In and it wasn't necessarily that great. You know what? You're right. We did, didn't we? I mean, I think I think you liked it better than I did, but uh, I, I I wasn't that high on that match. Yeah, that was that opening one that just kind of got thrown in, right? It was, yeah. So there's no storyline whatsoever, but there won't be a storyline for this either, and there probably won't be an NWA matches for for quite a while. I mean, we'll see stuff built up on Ten Pounds of Gold, I'm sure, for Aldis and Storm. But I, but you know, I don't know what Storm's been doing in the last couple of years since he was fluctuating between NXT and TNA. Um, and you know, I don't see what their what build there could really be for those two. I think as much of a build as there's been for any of the other matches. I mean, outside of Cody, there's never been a really lengthy, in-depth build for any of the matches. Yeah, that's true. But I, I guess I'm not I'm not looking forward to this the way that I was, you know, the Swagger match and the way I would have the uh, Jeff, the uh, Cage match if we'd been able to see it. Well, and I think a lot of it though, too, is the build-up, because we saw the build-up on 10 pounds of gold. So you got a different introspective on, on Jack Swagger before the match even happened. Well, I didn't. We'd, we'd, already, we'd already seen the show before that was on there, didn't we? No. Oh. Because I told oh, you I you got to watch it before the show. I don't think I did. Well, what the <laughs> hell? Why do I ever tell you things? What? Nothing. Um, so do we want to talk a little bit about this, uh, world tag league title show? I think we have to, I mean, there was a title change. There was at least one decent match that I, I think everybody should see before they move on to, um, like wrestle kingdom and stuff. Yeah. So there was the, uh, I don't, know, I don't know if you watched this eight-man that, that I told you to watch, Jeff, but there, I, I, there was my favorite eight-man tag in a long time on that show, and it was um, Taguchi, surprisingly enough, Tanahashi, and Finn Juice taking on Kenny Omega, Marty Skrull, and the Young Bucks. And, uh, or as I wrote in my notes, the Young Buck. <laughs> but I thought they all worked, worked well together. Um, it was nice seeing Omega and Tana interact, similar to how we saw Ishii and ZSJ earlier in that show, similar to how we saw... Omega and Ishii, you know, earlier you're kind of just wetting our appetites for that main event of Wrestle Kingdom. I, and I was just really entertained by the whole thing. Um, 
I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you watched that. And it's been like over a week since I have, so I, I don't really have a lot of detail on it. But it, I thought it was good. I I thought that I did get a chance to go back and watch that match. I thought it was good. Not as good as what you thought, um, but I did think it was a fun eight man tag. Well, right. And what are we, what are you? What else are you looking for in an eight man tag besides just fun? That's a good point. I think uh, I think the problem is that I saw what was coming up after it, so I was a little jaded. <laughs> so uh, wait, I was. I thought, I thought you told me that you loved this match. More and more every time you see it. Osprey, the Osprey <laughs> Taguchi match. Yeah. Are you I, sure I, we saw I, the same thing? Taichi, tai yeah. Taichi actually. Yeah. I, I, the yeah. Um, no. I think when I first saw it, I gave it like a three and a half star. After I went back and watched it again, I gave it a two star. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Well, I've only seen it once, but I gave it three and a half stars. Um, and, and I thought it was terrible at the beginning, but but the more they got towards the end, the more I realized what they were trying to do. It's just that it's hard for me to um, – it, it's hard for me to really enjoy anything that Tai Chi does, honestly. I mean, I – you. I, I think I t- said before he, he's like the bizarro Tanahashi to me, um, and he's he's got an evil sort of charisma, but he doesn't really do anything in the ring. Um, he doesn't do anything for me whatsoever. Um, I mean, this douchebag even made a Will Osprey match boring for the majority of it. Um, I hate to I, say it, but I mean, I, I, mean, think... I, mean, I mean, and he's got some good kicks, but I mean, that's about it. I mean, I don't, I don't want to you know, stomp on your parade here, but I think it was Will Ospreay that made the Will Ospreay match boring. No, it was Taichi. The fact that we've come to expect a certain match out of, out of Will Ospreay and he did none of that until like the last minute and a half is where there was an issue. I mean, other than the one man Spanish fly, did he do any of his high spots that we come to expect out of, out of Will Ospreay? Well, no, but but see, you have to remember that I don't have the same problem with that kind of stuff that you do. Like you, like you thought the uh, Jay Lethal Osprey match wasn't very good this year, and I gave it like four and a half stars. Uh, I don't care that Osprey doesn't do that high flying stuff that we're that we're used to seeing him do. And and if I did, I would blame Tai Chi as the character for taking him out of the out of the match early and not letting him get off the ground. So it, it's all Tai Chi's fault. He's evil. He needs to die. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go that far. I, I think he okay. I, okay, I mean, he, okay, he needs to go to NXT. I think he gets. <laughs> I think he gets kind of a bad rap just because his gimmick is so bad. I don't think he's horrible in the ring, but I think his. What the hell is his gimmick? Is he an opera star? Is he? Well, what is he? I think he's supposed to be some kind of a rock and roll star. Uh, what? With that mask and and cape? Well, I don't know. This is. We're in 2018, not 1972. You can't have a cape and a mask anymore in rock and roll. Um, Unless, of course, I, you're on Slipknot. I would point you to the direction of Kiss as well, but, you know. Like I said, the 70s. Yeah, but they still tour nowadays. Yeah, but they haven't been relevant since 1978. In fact, my uncle was actually on their tour, on their, uh, their cruise this year, and he had a terrible time. So shout out to Kiss for sucking... Uh, at doing a cruise. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not, that, not that that really is here or there, but you know, um, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I give 
I give the total credit and blame of this match being boring to Tai Chi, not to not to Osprey, because when Osprey was doing his stuff, it was that's when the match shone, and that's why I was able to actually give it a three and a half stars, is because of Osprey's comeback. Now, tai Chi, I guess I should give him credit for um, keeping Osprey down, but it, it just, eh, he sucks. I don't know. I there was nothing about the match that I liked. In fact, like I said, going back and watching it a second time, it was actually worse, and it's not. Uh, there's certain things you expect out of certain matches, uh, especially when somebody's not a great storyteller. Like I've never thought of Osprey as a great in-ring storyteller, and well, he kind of time to start. I, I, maybe I'll have to see more of it. I mean, I guess this is now his second heavyweight match where he's acted like this, so maybe it's a new character for him. I don't know. Um, maybe if I see more of it, I'll start to buy into it. But I, I've just I've never seen him as this kind of, of storyteller where he's just going to be a ground-and-pound type guy. It's just not what I expect out of Will Ospreay. And when I see that, it, it really takes me out of the moment because I come in expecting to see something a little more high-paced than that, a little more fast-paced. Not so many rest holds, not so many um, laying on the ground just swearing, which is pretty much what he did. And I can't let and, and, this... Remind me to uh, bring up the rest holds when, when, you, when you go back to calling the real world title match from Friday night, possibly your match of the year. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, there was also a lot, a, lot, a lot of laying around for no reason in that match, though. There was a lot of laying around, yeah, but... I don't know. It, it, it's, uh, I, don't, I also don't expect um, Dalton Castle to be fast-paced. He never has been. Well, Matt Taven has been, though. Um, and, and, anyway, um, so in, why is my phone ringing? Because somebody's calling me. Duh. Um, <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> so nobody, nobody important. So um, I'll call you one back thing, later. One so. thing I do have to <laughs> kind of point you out You didn't hear what I said, did you? I, wasn't, I was ignoring you like normal. Okay. Um, the one thing well, that well, I do... I, wait, 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 before you get to that, I was going to say that, you know, I, I gave... The reason I give Osprey a bit of a pass in this match for it being more slow-paced and him being more grounded is because not only did he come into the match injured, but also Tai Chi attacked him before the bell. So, I mean, I think they built that into the story and into the into real life. So, anyway, go and ahead. That's what I'm saying is that until I can buy into that story, and, and I get it, he is hurt. He is injured. He is hurt and, you know, in real life. But until I can buy into him being that kind of a storyteller, I just I can't buy in. I just I can't go with that. So until you can, so until you can, you can't. Exactly. Well, how many times <laughs> have we seen him get a beatdown and then do some uh, move that caused that was like fifteen and a half flips? Well, that's true, but that was also in spot fest type matches. That's not what he's doing anymore. Right, and that's what I'm saying is there's you you don't expect Will Osprey to get beaten down and then lay on the ground. You just don't. But he... Um, two things I have to mention. First of all, Kevin Kelly um, blamed the lack of high-flying offense on the fact that his ribs were hurt. Right. Did you notice in the next match, he blamed the lack of high-flying, fast-paced offense on the fact that Abushi's neck was hurt? No, I didn't. 
He uh, he used the exact same line, just used it as a neck. Well, most of his offense is, is from his core, is what he said about Osprey. And then when it was Ibushi, most of his offense came from his neck. How does that even make sense? I don't know, but it was something that really jumped out at me, and I had to bring it up because it was really stupid. Okay. <laughs> I also, <laughs> I've also seen in a couple of different places that this Osprey Chi match got four stars and was the match of the card. Interesting. I can't even kind of halfway believe him. You know, though, speaking of, speaking of uh, stupidity with the announcers, um, I think at least Kevin Kelly knew who he was talking to, whereas you thought that one announcer the whole day was somebody else. Because well, he sounds identical. <laughs> Excalibur sound the only difference and the only reason I was starting to question it was because he didn't have those bad jokes. Like you expect you expect bad jokes out of Dom Callis and when Excalibur was talking, he never threw in one of those jokes. I just couldn't understand why they kept calling Don Callis Excalibur. Maybe I should have Maybe I should have watched the entire production and not just jumped from match to match. Perhaps. Or maybe you shouldn't have been drinking so much wine while you were watching. They might have shown him on camera, and I would have gotten it. They did. They did yeah. show him on camera. Yeah. See, that's that's where it was. But they also said his name was Excalibur. Multiple times, but Don Callis used to be Cyrus. So what do I care? He goes by different names. Yeah, but it's not like Taguchi, where he goes out there in different disguises all the time. That is true. So it's, not like, it's not like Kotobushi playing the role of... Uh, Tiger Mask 2000, or whatever the fuck that character's name was last year. Oh, it was brutal. Why'd you have to bring that back? Um, but speaking of Kota Ibushi, he did have the match of the night <laughs> against Hiroki Goto for the Never, for the Never Championship. Um, and this one surprisingly started off with Goto trying to pull a Tai Chi and sneak a win out early. I, I was like, really? Goto's going to do that? That makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I... I had issues with that, but I mean, I kind of got the story a little bit more there with him focusing on the neck after a bad fall. The only problem is the bad fall wasn't sold throughout and the bad fall really didn't look that bad. Well, the, what I thought, what I thought when I saw that was, hmm, I wonder if he's if he's the spy within chaos. When you saw him clothesline the bushi on the, on well, the, when he when he attacked him when he attacked him from behind and tried to get a sneaky win really early. Yeah, I don't get Goto. He it depends, I guess, on who he's facing, but he does have a chance. He does play a good heel at times. Yeah, but I mean, he's supposed to be the fierce warrior, fierce honorable warrior, and he tr- and he tries to do that against you know probably his greatest opponent after saying after apparently coming into the match saying that he was relishing the the opportunity to face Ibushi to try to elevate the status of the championship. Mm. Well, it did get elevated, just not by Goto. Right. And that's a Wrestle Kingdom match I can't wait for. Osprey versus Ibushi. Well, I can't wait for it for several for several reasons. One of them, of course, is that it's just going to be a great match. Um, but but also, you know, the, the when you and I started watching. New Japan Pro Wrestling, the, the Never style was basically what it's what it's been 
recently, which is basically, you know, two hard, two hard hitting guys slugging it out for that championship. But Goto doesn't fit that role as well as Ibushi, I'm sorry, Ishii or, um, or Makabe or, of course, Shibata did. And so it's, he's, it's kind of like been in a limbo spot and he's been in a limbo along with it as he has nowhere to go and they have nobody to really put that championship on. So I'm, I'm really hoping that this signals not only um, a great match at Wrestle Kingdom, but also this title getting the back to, to what it was originally supposed to be. I mean, never isn't just a word. It's an acronym for New Blood, Evolution, Valiantly, Eternal, and Radical. And so it was supposed to be kind of like the young man's championship in that promotion. Well, Goto's 39, Ibushi's three years younger at 36, but Osprey winning that championship and defending it against, against guys like Skrull or um, Zack Sabre Jr. or something like that would be um, a great bridge to allow that championship to truly become open weight and also be um, kind of like the elevation type title where, where young guys are rising up in the company. Well, it's, I mean, the feud between Shibata and Ishii over that, over that title, that feud went on for what, a year and a half. And that was probably the height of the title. Right. It seemed to once Suzuki won it, it kind of just at that point just started slowly going downhill. And now we're a year and a half since Suzuki won it. And it's probably at an all time low right now. Well, yeah, I mean, at least since we started watching it, but I'm just, so that's why, you know, that's, that's why Osprey in that match, it, it opens so many doors because it, it could, it could, it would elevate him. It would elevate the championship. It would change the championship back to what it was originally meant to be. And it would, it would truly make the belt open weight for the first time since I can remember. Yeah, I guess I can't remember a time when it was actually considered open weight. Right. It's more like the X Division Championship from Impact is what it should be. Yeah. And it's it not just, about weight it, limits, it's about no limits. Yeah, and it, it hasn't been that forever. So yeah, you right. might be right. Right. And and uh, this one I thought had a really great finish with uh Goto was going for like a like a clothesline or something, or like a shoulder block and the way that uh, Ibushi pulled him forward, it was almost like Goto Kamigori to himself. <laughs> and then he got hit butter, hit butter, and then hit with a real version of the Kamigori to, to finish the match. I mean, it was just like a quick series that Goto just got, him, got his uh, bell rung on. Yeah, I mean, this match was the match of the night. I, I would give it three and three quarter star maybe. I don't know if I could give it a four. I don't know. It's a tough one to call because I'm I'm wondering if I was dragging it down because of the crap it was surrounded by or if it was really that bad. I mean, Goto to me has never been that exciting of a wrestler. Um, I think he's an exciting wrestler, but I, I think he's – Pick the bad move to be his finishing move, and that and that kind of weighs it down. I mean, I, th- I think that uh, suplex into the into the rock bottom move that he does, the uh, shotokai, that should be his finisher. And then it, I think it, I think you know a lot of times when a wrestler is kind of on that borderline, a great finisher will make him exciting. The finisher he has sucks. 
you know, he's got at least two other moves in his arsenal better than his finishing move, and that and that just makes it really boring for him to for him to to set up and win the match, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, you know, the other thing about this match being a transition kind of is is that Ibushi can hit hard and fast like Goto and Shibata does, but he also has that high flying part to his game that's exciting and buried. So I, I, I think it's you know I think they're just going through a great transition time for this championship right now. I just I hope that we get the match that we're thinking, and I, I'm kind of up in the air here, whether I want Osprey to take it or let Ibushi run with it for a little bit, let Osprey chase. I I wouldn't mind seeing Ibushi win this match, and you know have Osprey kind of chase him all the way through Dominion, and then maybe win it in Dominion. Yeah, I just I just wonder how they would how they would handle that. Like it, like if Osprey loses his first ch- shot at an open weight championship, does that mean he automatically goes back to being a junior heavyweight? You know, that's that's what I'm a little bit concerned about. Well, that's why they've got to end it in some sketchy way, which is going to be hard to do considering you've got two faces. But if they can, if if it can come down to the wire and just have it be kind of like a. Uh, uh, Rocky Apollo Creed from uh, Rocky Two, where it comes down to one second, you know something like that. Yeah. Then I could see Osprey sticking around where he needs to continue to chase, but I think Osprey makes a much better guy chasing it because I don't think we're ready right now for him for the payoff, especially now after we just got the Kodaibushi payoff. Do we really want to turn that around three weeks later and give it to Osprey and and have Osprey's payoff so quickly? Well, yeah. Plus, the uh, the championship has not really been been uh, well held recently. I mean, Goto lost it at Dominion, won it back six days later, lost it to Tai Chi. Tai Chi lost it back to Goto. Now Goto's lost it to Ibushi. So it's like there's been like no successful title defenses of the belt since I don't know May or something. And that's why I'd like to see, a, a, even if Ibushi kept it until, say, Power Struggle, and mm-hmm. we, went, we went a full 10 months before Will Ospreay won it, but he kept chasing it. I think that, and you know, have Ibushi pull off some decent wins in there. I, I think that would elevate the title more than taking off Ibushi right now and giving it to Ospreay. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and then... Go to, I mean, uh, Ibushi could have some some great defenses against other people in that time, like you know, Tai Chi, right? <laughs> or Goto. <laughs> no, but I, I think it, it, I it think is cool. There it are. is cool for both Golden Lovers to have championships right now, though. Yeah, it is, and I, I think it will be at some point. It'll be um, where the prestige will come back. I just think they need a lengthy run right now. Something longer. I mean, it. We've had since May. It has literally changed hand on, hands on the first title defense. Every single title defense. Yeah, I think the only one that is not true of is I think Jeff Cobb lost to Goto at one of the U.S. shows or something, didn't he? I, yeah. I think that's only. I think that's the only time that the title was defended successfully. Maybe the entire year, actually. I think you're right because that was right after he won it back six days later. Then he defended it or defeated Cobb and then he lost to Tai Chi the very next defense. Right. Yeah, it's it's been silly. So uh, I don't know, I'm just hoping for an Ibushi run here and let 
let Will Ospreay prove that he's worthy of that spot. Because I don't know if after only two matches he's worthy of being considered that kind of that kind of wrestler that can hang with the heavyweights yet. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I guess we move on to the finals. <laughs> Do we have to? Well, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say this. You know, I I I am due. I think last Tuesday morning, and I yeah. said, and I said I watched the World Tag League Finals last night, and that's all I said. And you went, and, and I think my reason, exact response was, what the fuck was that bullshit? <laughs> I mean, God, what the hell was this match? Seriously, it um, was it was a battle over the Magic Killer. That's all it was. But I mean, it wasn't even a goddamn tag team match. No, it really wasn't. And, and you know, I mean, for you to, if you were to tell me that Evil and Sonata would be in a match, and the match would barely get one star from me, I would have told you you were fucking insane. But that's what this ha- that's what this was. I mean, God, it was nothing. Well, and, and I mean, even even as little as I hate Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa, together God is good. Separate, they suck. But right. together, for some reason, they mesh well. They've got good chemistry. They seem to play off each other really good. A lot, they remind me a lot of the Briscoes in the fact that they just seem to gel together and they can communicate in, in grunts, basically, as, uh, as um, Caprice Coleman said. Right. Um, you know, it, that's – they're good as a t- – so, like, like you said, I mean, I gave it two stars. I was a little more generous than you were on – but uh, God, what a bad match! And when, it really with was the four it. people with the four people involved, it never should have been. You know, I think I, I think I almost gave it a two star two stars, but you know why I didn't? Any any clue? Um, um, um. Okay, so, so 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 what did you say? You, you said this was a battle over the magic killer, didn't you? Yeah, it really was, and it was terrible. <laughs> And so what happens when Sonata and Evil hit the magic killer? Tomatonga fucking kicks out of it. Right. And then, and then all, they, all that happens after that is um, Evil does a power bomb and Sonata does his moonsault, and that's the end of the match. So what was the fucking point of him kicking out of the magic killer? Just because he didn't want to well, kick out of, his, out of his old team's finisher? I mean, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> that, that and the fact that um, the guerrilla warfare is essentially a magic killer, just he holds his legs a little little lower down. Right. You know, it, it's... Uh, and how many times did they go for the stupid magic killer, too, before they finally hit it? I mean, it was back and forth, every, both of them setting it up for the magic killer, and the fact that G.O.D. is upset because that was Carl Anderson and, and Doc Gallo's move. You know, they can't take that move. And then L.I.J. just, shut up. It was just bad. It was bad setup. It was bad... Uh, Plus, there's this whole thing where um, Red Shoes was as was stupider in this match than he's ever been stupid before. Where you know Jado hit how many cane shots to both guys, and the referee didn't see it any of the any of the like 18 times. I mean, it was just fucking ridiculous because it seemed like every time Evil and Sonata were about to turn it into an into an actual wrestling match, boom, another cane shot. You know, I I I despise this match. I, I'm right there with you, and I, I think 
I hate to say this, but I think the part that made me despise it even more was the post-match. Well, the, the other thing, the other thing is, you know, like I, I, I can, I know where you're coming from with this, but, but before you get there, let me just say that the other thing, the other thing that really made me sour on this match was there was a jump start in the match again. This, you know, Jado beat the living hell out of, out of, uh, well, out of, out of Sonata. Um, no, it was evil. It was evil, right? It was. I'm sorry, it was evil. And then Sonata's getting gained up by the other two guys. He gets all these. He gets all these uh, cane shots in. Tama and um, Loa basically have the entire match to themselves, where they're dominating it, and yet somehow they still lose the match. And we're and so we're supposed to be excited for not only this being a terrible match again at Wrestle Kingdom, but but uh, it, was there is there really any drama in a team that just got their asses kicked, um, winning a match? Um, and thinking that you know they might not have a chance to win at Wrestle Kingdom, and then enter what you were about to say. Now, you're going to have to stick with me through this. Yeah. Um, because first of all, it sucked. Um, young Bucks coming out and saying, "Oh, we've been, we were away," and you know, giving the reason for being away and everything. Yeah, great. Okay, we get it. You were away. You should have been involved. Yeah, best tag team in the world. Japan was not the right place for them to cut that promo. And that bugged me from the start because there was nothing. They sat on their hands because he spe- Matt Jackson is speaking English. And there's no translation. 90% of the crowd has no clue what he's saying. And You think that's true? Yeah, I do. <clears throat> I mean, I... I well, see, I don't think I, it's, I don't think it's as true as if it was a Japanese guy speaking Japanese in a, in a United States ring. I think that you know, Japan, you know, Amer- English is more of a nas- of an international language, and so I think there probably was you know a lot more than ninety percent of the crowd that understood English. That's all I'm saying. There was enough of the crowd that didn't really understand it, or you know, got bits and pieces of it, to where this promo that he was trying to cut just didn't hit. It it just seemed like it like all the high spots where he should have gotten cheers. There was nothing. Gotcha. You know, and it was like it, it just it really took away from the promo he was cutting because what he was cutting was making sense. You know, it's the, they're the best tag team in the world. They were they weren't in the uh, World Tag League, and you know they never did get their title rematch. Now that being said. I've been reading all over the place, and I don't know if anything's been officially announced yet, yet for Wrestle Kingdom. But I've been reading everywhere that people are saying, oh, it's going to be a triple threat. I don't think so. Because the way they cut that promo, and remember, we were trying to figure out how both the six-man and the tag champs were going to be defended at Wrestle Kingdom. And we were saying, well, they're just going to drop the six-man on the way to Wrestle Kingdom. I don't think so. I think they're going to drop the tag belts to the Bucks. And we're going to get the Bucks against Evil and Sonata at Wrestle Kingdom. Well, I'd be okay with that. But... uh... I, I, but I don't think the Superman tag titles are being defended because they're they're doing a pre-show um, gauntlet match for the number one contender spot. Oh really? Yeah, man. Oh, and I suppose um, Ishimori is already penciled in against Kushida. Yes. Yep. Uh, I just hope the Bucks. But then you know, God, I just hope it's not another triple threat. It is another triple threat. I'm pretty oh. sure. The way that they made it sound is they were just asking for their rematch. They weren't asking for a triple threat or anything. They were just asking for their rematch. 
But yeah, who who actually asked for a triple threat? Unless you're the unless you're SVU. Well, so. yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the card right now on NJPW1972.com. Yep, it's uh, Tonga Tamatanga and Tonga Loa defending against Evil and Sonata and against the Young Bucks. I think that's a major misstep. A major misstep, considering now we've got both tag team champions being held uh, contested in triple threats that nobody cares about. Yeah, I think it sucks. Yeah. <sighs> Just dumb, but it, I mean, I I don't know. I I was very disappointed in the little bit of tag league that I did see. Outside of KES and Evil and Sonata, I would didn't couldn't get into any of the matches. I mean, I had hits and misses here and there, but I thought the pairings were bad. I thought the stories that they were trying to tell were bad. I just couldn't believe in them. I, the fact that they threw a Young Lions team in there really bugged me, especially considering they didn't get any wins. No, disappointing tag league this year, I think. Uh, I didn't watch much of it, so you know, I, I guess I would have to agree with you. <laughs> but, I, I mean, looking at pairings, I wasn't that excited with them anyway. So, um, yeah, so here's that six-man. They have actually the teams announced for the six-man number one contendership gauntlet. So um, it's, it's kind of amazing because Suzuki's actually on the pre-show. Wait a minute. So, didn't they have that two years ago? Uh, two Wasn't years that ago. how the um, Evil Sonata and Bushi won it? Was in a gauntlet match at Wrestle Kingdom? Yeah, the last two years there was gauntlet matches actually for the championship. This is gauntlet match. This is gauntlet match for the number one contendership, but it's not even on the show. It's on the pre-show. Is it taking place at the Battle Royal? I'm thinking so. Yeah. Oh, I hope not. I love the Battle Royal. Yeah, I don't think I, they don't have the Honor Rumble announced yet. So. <gasps> That's my favorite. That's my favorite part of the pre-show. Yeah, so it's Taguchi, Yano, and Makabe, which is a weird team, taking on Finley, Cobb, and Elgin, which is also a weird team, taking on KES and Minoru Suzuki, taking on Chucky T, Beretta, and Goto, taking on Skrull, Takahashi, and Page. Okay, is Takahashi part of the elite, or what's going on here? I have no idea, dude. It's uh, and you brought up something interesting today that I didn't realize. I wonder how many other people have contracts that go another year other than Marty Skrull. Well, nobody else in the elite, but um, well, didn't Omega sign on a three-year deal last time when he was up for this, or was it well, two-year? No, it was two-year. Omega's contract ends at the I think when I want to say January twenty-eighth. Okay. And actually, Skrulls, I guess. And actually, I guess I read later on after I was talking about that that Skrull's contract goes through Supercard, which is so weird. June. Yeah, that's yes. June. Yes. yes. Well, Supercard's in April, so it probably either goes through the end of April or the end of May, I suppose. That's an odd contract. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But I guess it depends on when you actually sign too. I mean, maybe because maybe he's, maybe he signed in April, but you know what? I think I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, uh, but I just hope that they. I hope this wasn't. And I, you know, now we're going to transition to elite talk. But I really hope this is not the end of of the elite members at Ring of Honor and, and New Japan. Yeah, I. Me too. I really hope they figure out a way 
to have a working agreement with with Ring of Honor and New Japan so that they can actually continue to be a part of those shows. Because as much as we know they'll survive, we know they'll find people to replace these guys, but God, that would be such a huge hit to have six guys just taken from your show. And who knows how many other. You know, they're going to try and sign talent. Well, I think I think it's actually eight guys that are gone from the shows now. From NGPW, from Ring of Honor, at least, there's, there's the Bucks, Cody, Paige. Well, I guess that's, that's only four right there, isn't it? Isn't it? And then Skrull. Well, yeah. well Skr- yeah, it was her when he leaves, but then also S- I think SCU is leaving with them too. You think so? I do. I think Christopher Daniels is. I don't know if SC because didn't SCU supposedly resign a contract? At least in the, the sto- two of them. In storyline, yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose he could revoke the contract since they lost the titles. Yeah, he could. Or, or, they could, or, 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 they, or they could do, or they could have like SCU come out and just rip the contracts in half or something too. That could work. Yeah, in, in protest of not re-signing Daniels. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I was, you know, I was, I was disappointed to, to read stuff from Cody recently about how he he felt like uh, something about how he didn't want to be at Super at G One Supercard because he didn't, you know, he feels that's WWE's weekend and he and he didn't want to to compete against them or something, which is weird. So I, so I don't, so, you know, I, while I hope they do keep using these guys, apparently at least Cody won't be in Madison Square Garden. You know, and he said something about that, you know, and I, it's not like the third or fourth time I brought up spoilers on the match that we haven't even talked about yet, but um, hopefully everybody watched these shows, or if you haven't, go back and watch it, because they're actually really good. But in his pre-match con, uh, We'll get to it. We'll get to it when we get to the Cody Rhodes bit. Okay. Well, um, anything else to say about World Tag League or the Elite? Just that I wish them luck. I really hope that they can figure this out, and I, I hope that they figure out a TV deal and we don't end up not having them on TV for a while. Because I just, I, I, the Bucks will be fine, Cody will be fine. I worry mostly about Adam Page. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's not doesn't have the kind of savings and stuff that th- those guys do. So hopefully they're doing something to compensate him while they're, you know, while they're getting everything set up. Because I mean, all the elite wrestling I think is going to be you know a thing um, sooner than later. And I think we're going to see more and more of that coming up on being the elite. And I I, I love the episode of, that was that they released today where they were kind of showing um, leaving Ring of Honor's final battle and saying. Uh, time to change the world, boys, and things like that. There was even a letter where they said to, uh, where there was basically written to WWE, like, we watched what you, we saw what you did to Monday Night Raw, and so while in this business you never say never, we, for now, we wish you the best in your future endeavors. So, I mean, pretty much making it clear they're not going to WWE, at least right now, which is awesome. Well, yeah, because they, we talked about that. The only the only person that wouldn't get buried uh, of the elite going to WWE is probably Adam Page. He's probably the only one that would get a push because he's got the talent, he's got the uh, age, and he's got the build that 
Vince McMahon likes. But I will say this about the new Elite, uh, being the Elite video. Frankie Kazarian does a very good Triple H. Yeah, he does. <laughs> oh, you noticed that was him too, huh? Oh, yeah. It was hard <laughs> not to. <laughs> when, he, when he spit the water at them was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, so we'll take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back to talk about Final Battle. As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of color? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. And we are back. And if you're just joining us, we'll be talking about Ring of Honor's final battle from 2018 this past Friday. And, you know, I'm amazed we've already gone almost an hour, Jeff. (laughs) I'm really not. We've been babbling like nothing lately. I suppose. So it doesn't surprise me. Well, there was a surprise match added uh, just on Friday to the show that ended up being the opener. Um, Kenny King, the K-I-N-G King, taking on Eli Isom. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed Kenny's promo um, to start this match. But once it was over, I was like, you know, Kenny really ran this guy down, and then the guy ended up losing anyway. So was that really beneficial to Isom's career? It reminded me a lot of Triple H back in the uh, mid-2000s, um, especially his feud against Scott Steiner, where he just ran down everything. And his feud against Booker T and his feud against Randy Orton and feud, pretty much everybody, where he runs them down, runs them down, runs them down, and then wins anyway and just buries these people. I mean, that set Randy Orton back probably three years, what he did to him. That got Scott Steiner completely out of the business because he did nothing after that except but a little run in Impact or TNA at the time. Booker T, that pretty much ended his career. You know, so it, Eli Isom might be young enough and still kind of a blue chipper where he's only had, what, six months of TV mm-hmm. to where he could possibly recover from it. But you're right. I I was really disappointed in the angle that they, that they took, and then for Kenny King to win so decisively. Right. I mean, I, and actually, what it reminded me of, and I, and I'm sure this is not going to uh, surprise you, but was when uh, John Cena was running down AJ Styles before Royal Rumble, was it 16, 17? Anyway, we're, oh, when we're, he matched when he matched uh, Ric Flair's title. Right, and he was going on today's show saying that some guy from Atlanta and all that kind of bullshit. You know, which really bothered me, and and I agree with that too. That that bugged me, but I think at that point it was a little bit different because it wasn't for the people that actually followed even WWE at that time. They just watched AJ Styles beat him three out of three times. Yeah, that's true. You know, less than three months before that, so to have him run him down like that was more of a knock on on John Cena and you can tell ever since really ever since he lost that belt in the 
Elimination Chamber to Bray Wyatt, he's had, what, two matches in three years? And nobody cares. No. Nobody cares. I, he's He's been off TV. He's been done. Nobody gives a shit. It's John Cena's done. Nobody cares. Yeah, which makes it even worse that Styles lost to him. But anyway, um, let's... Uh, <laughs> well, you can't say that. I'm always going to be sour about that. It did give us one of the better storylines of the early part of that year. Leading up to that WrestleMania match and the double, uh, the double turn with Shane turning heel and him turning face. Shane didn't turn heel. He kind of did because his feud with uh, Kevin Owens is right after that. And then Kevin Owens turned heel and turned Shane face again. Well, you weren't at the SmackDown where AJ Styles won the, won the shot to wrestle for the championship at, at, uh, at uh, WrestleMania. And then, you know, next week was like, no, you didn't actually win the title shot. Now you have to face Randy Orton in a 12-minute match where you're going to look like an idiot and lose. So, anyway. Yeah. Okay, I, yeah. I, I can't I can't get there. Sorry. Um, I just that whole I, I think as much as I hate what John Cena did, and I don't think it was necessary for him to win the title, especially just to lose it two weeks later to Bray Wyatt. I just that whole I, I'm kind of okay with it because of what it led. It led us to a point where AJ Styles became a face, but more of an edgy face, where he didn't have to be that vanilla baby face anymore. He could be the heel version of AJ Styles just as a good guy. You're forgetting what else it also what else it led to though. Fucking Ginger Mahal as the w, as the WWE champion for half the year. Oh dear God. That's right. That's when we started hating that program. <laughs> yes. So, um, I mean, if I mean, if it had led to Styles winning the championship back from from uh, Orton in a five star classic at SummerSlam, I probably would be okay with it too. But what it did lead to. No, thank you. Um, anyway, so that, I mean, that was my big, my big impression of this match. I, I didn't think it was a bad match. I just thought that like a small package victory by Isom would have done nothing to hurt King. It would have helped Isom. It would have kind of made King have to kind of eat his words. Even if, it, even if King were to come back and beat him on TV or something later on, you know, Price to have that little win in the spotlight here would have done nothing but help Isom really, and, and actually would probably have helped King as well. Well, and I agree, and they did a lot to um, sell the fact that Eli Isom was getting such a high-profile match in his rookie year and all this stuff, you know, the announcers with uh, Cole Cabana. And, you know, I know I've been dogging Cole Cabana and loving Caprice Coleman, for, but lately, Cole Cabana has been dead on. His commentary has actually been so much better since the NWA 70 show. Yeah, I would agree with that. But he, uh, um, this match, I had a hard time giving this match anything close to a three. I think I ended up with a 2.5. That's where I'm at, exactly. Mainly because of the pre-match comments and the fact that Eli Isom got buried. I thought the match itself was really good. It was really good storytelling with Eli Isom being the underdog and the, you know kind of fighting from behind. But that, that promo that started and then the, the finish is just what killed me. Just absolutely killed me. Um, yeah. Yeah, me too. I just I just thought it was the entire thing was uh booked poorly just, I mean it it was booked poorly all the way around because really I mean I it was great to see King on the card, 
Um, nice to see Isom get a, get a little bit of a spotlight, but it was just weird that they just added it last minute to the show. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the story is behind that. Ben well, they, will never know. They did kind of t- they did kind of touch on the reasoning behind it when they said that it was because Kenny King attacked Cheeseburger, and that's his mentor. Um, I refuse I, to see Cheeseburger as a mentor to anybody. I refuse to see Cheeseburger. We'll get to this, but why is he the savior? Why is he always the one who runs down to ringside to help out? I don't get well, it. Well, I think it's because people can't actually see him, so he has, you know, he's so thin that he can sneak in there and do some damage before he actually gets caught. <laughs> Until he gets his ass whooped by Silas Young. Well, to be fair, everybody should get their ass whooped by Silas Young. Yeah, that's a good point. Except for maybe the two guys in this match coming up. Yeah, this match, this reminded me a lot of the old Shibata Ishii feud. Right. Where it was painful to watch when you got done watching Cobb and Page. I, I felt like I needed to go to the hospital. It was yeah. that hard hitting. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, this match got me like almost right at the very beginning when Cobb caught Page out of his standing shooting star shoulder block and caught him in a belly-to-belly and just threw him basically like to Cleveland. <laughs> um, and, then, and then the next very, almost the very next move he does is he hits a running, flying European out of the corner. And it's just like, fuck, man, there's nothing Jeff Cobb can't do. You know? And then, uh, and then you know, the, the, the other amazing thing in this match was that Hangman Page did the... John Cena catch a flying body press and roll into a fireman's carry, but he did it on Jeff fucking Cobb, not on Randy Orton or on uh, or Seth Ry- uh, Seth Ryle Seth Rollins. You know he did it on Jeff fucking Cobb, who's built like a brick shit house. Um, and and I agree with you. I mean this this match reminded me so much of. Shibata versus Ishii, so much that I feel guilty not giving it five stars, but there was just a few timing spots in it that I thought I just, you know, I, because of those spots, I just could not give it a full five-star rating. And I was right there with you on the timing spots, and there was another couple of things that happened that really pulled me out of it. And some of the stuff that happened, like when he deadlifted Cobb and then threw him over his, uh, over his head. Yep was just amazing. And then, like you said, that fire, uh, that catching him and doing the up to the fireman's carry was a great spot. But there was a moment when I was sitting there going, you know what I haven't seen yet? I haven't seen a buckshot lariat. How are they going to pull this off? And then two seconds later, they had the buckshot lariat. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing is what pulled me out of it because it just seemed like he was forcing his moves in where they really shouldn't have been. And it, and it really and, and really it, it wasn't hit very well either because it was like Cobb was kind of turning at, with his shoulder at the same time that Page hit it. So it was like it was probably like the worst buckshot Larry I've seen. And there were so many other moments he could have done it and made it look good. Mm-hmm. But it, it was just like okay, we're getting to the end of the match now. Let's throw it in here. I mean, it, it, I still gave this three and a quarter. I thought the match itself was great, but I think those, like you said, those few timing spots. And the fact that there was really no no storyline involved in it kind of hurt it a little bit. 
Well, no, they're, no, they've been telling a story on TV about this match. So, what, three weeks? And the only reason it started was because he came and had a uh, stare down with him, and then they did some promos backstage? It just, there should have been more. For a match this hard-hitting, there should have been more. This is one of the few times. Or does a match this hard-hitting really need to have a storyline behind it? No. You know? It's like, it's like, it's like Matt Stryker said at Wrestle Kingdom 9. Who cares? Uh, why, why are should why are, why are Shibata and Ishii fighting each other? Shut up. That's why. <laughs> Shut up. Who cares? Let it happen. You're right. I guess I, I did. And that, that was still one of my all-time favorite matches. That might be one of my top five favorite matches of all time. Was that Shibata-Ishii match from Wrestle Kingdom 9. So, and, and, and uh, you, know, Cobb, you know, Cobb hit two straight moves on Paige that I thought were going to, that I was surprised that Paige didn't fucking die from. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, he countered the uh, right of passage into like a, uh, um, like a power bomb, but right on his head thing, and then he picked him up and like just flung him up in the air, spinning like a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, and then two of the tour of the islands. I'm surprised that uh, Adam Page isn't a lot thinner now than he was. Well, they have good island food, so. I don't care what anyone says. That looks like it hurts. That power slam by Jeff Cobb, that looks like it hurts. Yeah, not only that, but it's a counterclockwise power slam, so like totally disorients you at the same time. Right. Yeah, I, I, that one just... But I, and I thought the match was good. I just think it missed on a few spots, and that could be because they haven't worked together that much. In fact, I don't think they ever worked together, did they? I don't believe so, no. I mean, this is yeah. the first first meeting of these two, and you know they're both still... In fact, these two are actually on my top five of most improved wrestlers this year. Yeah, mine so too. I think I think they both kind of came from really being secondhand to really hitting the spotlight now. So they're not on the level of somebody like uh, Pentagon and Kenny Omega who can go out and have a five-star classic just out of nowhere, never even talking to each other beforehand. You know, they're not going to be on that level. So the fact that they they had some timing issues. They had a few other things go wrong in this is a lot because of how young they are and because of uh, the fact that they've never faced each other before. Right. I, I totally agree with that. And, and you know, like, it's like I said about the, about the page um, Shane Taylor match. I mean, if those guys had a match another two or three years, these guys, maybe even just their second match, you know, it, it could be, you know, a classic, you know, they, they could really have a great feud against each other. If, you know, if they were both going to, we're going to be around. Um, so what did you end up with on a rating for this one? Three and a half, three and a quarter, somewhere in there. Oh, that low, really? Yeah. Like I said, the, the buckshot Larry, the fact that it was really, there was no question on who was going to win this. You know, and right. well, I disagree. I put I put it to Paige to win it. So. Well, yeah, I know we talked about that, uh, you know, last week. But with the whole elite leaving and everything, there was no question that Cobb was going to win it. I thought there were too many timing issues and that whole buckshot lariat thing, where it, it felt forced. It felt like okay, I need to get my move in. Those few things is what took it down that low. Okay, so I, it still came on at four and a quarter for me. So. Um, I, I, I guess I can kind of see where you're coming from with her, but I also thought it was a more, more of a story coming in than you did, and I think I was just more impressed with the. Well, I mean, you seem like you were impressed with the overall body of work in the match too, so I'm not sure where you know where that where their differentiation is coming from in it, but um, oh, I guess I, I, the predictability factor, I guess, really wouldn't have, really didn't bother me. 
So yeah, I'm I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's the job of the wrestlers to convince you that the other way can can happen. So I guess if that didn't happen for you, then I can see why you would lower it down a little bit. And I never, I never felt like they got to that point where it was ever really truly in doubt. They, I mean, yeah, Paige hit a few big moves, looked like he took it to Cobb pretty good, but I never truly bought into the fact that Paige is going to win this. Fair enough. And and I think a lot of it, I mean, you mentioned it last week, the week before, the week before that, and I think the week before that, about how Paige losing all the time kind of gets you to a point where you don't believe he's going to win. Mm-hmm. And I think there could have been a little bit of that there too, is I just never bought into Adam Page winning this match. Gotcha. Where, as much as I hate to say it, but a match coming up here later that we're going to completely disagree on, um, I got the feeling that the ch- the challenger could have won it at a few different times. Well, you're proud he was facing it. He was facing up against Super Lethal, though. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, so let's move on to uh, the women's title four corner survival elimination match. But you know, before we do though, I, I would say that you know, if you guys, if 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 you have not seen the show yet and you just want to watch a few matches on here if you enjoyed the Ishii versus Shibata matches and who, how the fuck could you not have you should definitely watch Cobb versus Adam Page yeah it's definitely worth it the only thing that was missing was a standoff true like still you know where they the Ishii and Shibata always had that classic standoff in the middle where they would just kick each other to see who would uh, who would fall first Oh no, they did that. Remember, Page had the advantage, and then he just then he picks up Cobb and just starts hitting hitting him with forearms. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, yep, they yeah. did have that. Yeah. So they did. They ran a classic Shibata Ishii match. Right. I mean, and you could and you could argue that's why Page, you know, that that was the downfall for Page is that instead of pressing the advantage, he decided to prove who was the tougher man and, and well, go with he is. and go with those. So. It, and I will always be amazed that somebody is not as jacked like you expect a guy to be either a lot fatter or a lot more jacked to be this powerhouse that page portrays himself as and he does a good job doing it as not being completely ripped like you would expect him to be well like they say he's country strong so um so let's move on to the for the women's title four corner survival elimination match it was what it was now as elimination like right before the match started so um, we've got Sumi Sakai defending against Madison Rain, Kelly Klein, and Karen Q. And I'll, I'll let you talk about this one, Jeff. Off the bat, I'm giving it four stars. I really bought into. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I really bought into Kelly Klein being the dominant person that she portrayed in it, and the fact that she just walked through and eliminated everybody on her way to winning the belt. It all seemed to fit. It all seemed to go smoothly. I like the fact that it came right down to Kelly Klein and Sumi Sakai at the end, and it did, you know, didn't end up being Kelly Klein and Madison Rain or something like that. So there was no question who was the champion. And the fact that Kelly Klein finally got her payoff a good year later, you know, she finally is no longer the gatekeeper or the, you know, the person that's just there to, to make other people look good. She actually got over the mountaintop and I, I don't know. I love this match from start to finish. There was nothing about it. I didn't like. Well, you should know what I didn't like about it, but I'll, I'll get to it. So, uh, 
I guess I guess pretty shortly actually. I mean, there, probably my favorite spot in the match was the double Boston crab, crab by Kieran Q on uh, on Rain and and uh, Sakai. That yeah. that was just awesome to me. Um, but you know, I love the story of the match with Klein um, just going through like a buzzsaw all three of the all three of the other ladies and to to win the championship that she should have won a super card of honor. Um, and part of me thinks, well, if, if the majority of the match is going to be Kelly Klein versus Sumi Sakai anyway, why bother having a fatal four-way match? But at the same time, I think it was a good decision in that she went through the entire, all three of them in order to win that championship. You know, it wasn't just Sakai she had to beat. She beat Rain and Q as well. And Sakai did not get a single, you know, pinfall victory in there at all. Neither did Green, neither did Q. She beat all three of them. Didn't doesn't Madison Rain have a win over Kelly Klein? I believe so. I believe so. I mean, you had to have Madison Rain lose to Kelly Klein too. Um, I do like the way that they kind of protected Madison Rain a little bit by having Sumi Sakai hit the Smash Mouth and then Kelly Klein steal the win, steal the pin. I thought that was very well told, and it can lead to a place where Madison Rain is the next challenger because she was never officially beaten by Kelly Klein, whatever. Karen Q, I still have no clue why she was even in this match. Um, she beat somebody to get a shot at it. I don't yeah, know. but still, why, out of all of the talent on, that, on the Women of Honor roster, why her? Why not somebody like Jenny Rose? Yeah, I, 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 I would rather have Jenny Rose in there too myself. I mean, to think, to think about Kelly Klein buzz the sign through all this, she's got her biggest competitor in Jenny Rose. So why not have Jenny Rose in here, too, and, and leave no doubt? Well, maybe because that sets up for her to be her first challenger, too. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, so what kept, this, what kept me from, from giving this four stars was the ending of the match. Because there was absolutely no reason for Sakai to kick out of the K-Power. Um, especially when there was only one more move. And we talked about this in the, in the tag team title match from World Tag League or the tag team match from World Tag League. There was only one more move after that, and it was a super version of the K-Power. So, I mean, there was just no reason for it. I mean, there, it, was, it was one of those finisher kickouts that had no purpose whatsoever other than just to make Sumi Sakai, I guess, look better than she actually is. And, you know, I mean, she's been a, she's been a solid champion she was never the best choice to be the champion, but for her to kick out of that move, um, I just thought was in bad taste and completely unnecessary. So I, I couldn't give it a four star because of that. And I, that's what kept me from giving it higher was the fact that, because you and I both have the same thing. A finisher is a finisher for a reason. And I hate finisher kickouts. And the fact that she kicked out of it, and especially when that finisher kickout leads to just one more move ending the match. You know, we had that a little bit later on. Part of the reason why Lethal Cody didn't go higher than it did was because of stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I still thought this was a great match. I, I think it could have been a few things could have been tweaked a little bit, like that finisher kickout at the end. And uh, um, I think Kelly Klein could have looked a little more dominant in the beginning. Uh, and I probably would have given it four and a half to five had those two things happened. I thought it was that good of a match. But I've always been, I think I've always been a bigger fan of the women's wrestling than you have. Yeah, you have. 
So, um, but that being said, I'm not convinced that my that my most improved wrestler of the year is not a woman. So, I've got Kelly Klein in my top five. For improved? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, she's come a long way over this last year. Even in her losing streaks, when she's been losing every other match, she has looked better and better. And she, she's gotten to a point where I'm willing to put her up with Charlotte and, uh, and Tessa Blanchard is, is one of the best in the world right now as far as women's wrestlers. She's right. improved that much. And, that, and that's, who, that's where I was going with it. So I think Tessa Blanchard might end up being my number one most improved wrestler of the year. I don't know if she's a yeah. I guess she is a rookie this year, isn't she? Well, I didn't say rookie. I said I said most improved. Right. I mean, con, yeah, she's technically a, still a rookie. I don't think she. I think she debuted in February. Right, but I remember seeing her in NXT and her not really being able to do anything there. Yeah, that is true. She was there. So yeah, I, I guess I I'm gonna have to. I mean, I've got my list pretty much done. I've got a couple of people that might still change. So I've got a top five, but in most of my rankings, four and five are kind of loose right now where somebody else could easily slip in and take that spot. Gotcha. Um, I've just got to kind of, it was just kind of a quick, okay, let's go off the top of my head and see what I come up with. So you have Juice as your, like your number two? I have Juice nowhere near a listing. Although I, I am, to give the devil his due, I am having a hard time with him not being part of the most improved. Do we lose you again? I think we lost Shane. Shane, are you there? Well, regardless, I, I I think I'll keep talking. Hopefully, it's just his headphones again. Um, but I I do have a hard time with Juice Robinson not being considered part of my top five wrestler uh, as far as most improved wrestlers go because he he has really improved over the year, not just in his in ring ability, but the fact his storytelling has gotten better, his character work has gotten better. He's no longer that annoying vanilla baby face. Sorry, everyone. This is Shane back with you, and I'll have Jeff added on shortly. My internet went out, and then Skype decided to crash. So uh, it's just uh, been an overall wonderful night with Skype here tonight. And uh, we'll get Jeff added back here. We'll discuss the rest of Final Battle. And let's see. He should be on shortly. Maybe. to share these shows and like everything we do so we can afford better internet. <laughs> that's interesting. You were, you were, you were actually, you came on like, like we were having a conversation. Well, yeah, cause that's the way that I planned it. See, I think I had, I know these things. I get jokes anyway. Hi Shane. How are you? Oh, I'm just fucking wonderful. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, I was in the middle of ranting about Juice Robinson. And I don't know I don't know how much of it actually made it to air. Well, absolutely none of it because as soon as I asked you we were if Juice was in your top 2 or 3 most improved, then uh I totally lost connection. You know, and 
that is where I actually was starting to go with that, is that he could be. He might be in my top five. As much as I hate to admit that, <laughs> I honestly am having a hard time thinking of a better wrestler that exemplifies wrestler or most improved of the year than Juice Robinson. He started the year as a vanilla baby face. He went through his little Shawn Michael shtick. And now he's developed his own personality. He's improved leaps and bounds in the ring. He is a completely different wrestler now, character-wise and everything, in-ring ability, character-wise, storytelling, than he was in January of this year. To the point where you're going to be thrilled when he wins the United States title back from Cody? Well, see, and that's one of those things that's going to bug me is because you know it's going to happen. Uh You know, it's just another one of those like, really? Yeah. But I mean, I mean, that's... I mean, we talked about this before, where I thought it was a mistake to put it on put the U.S. title on Cody in the first place. So, you know, it's kind of New Japan's own fault they put themselves in this position. I get why they did it, though. I mean, who at the time was hotter than Cody? Well, I I get why they did it too. I just, but, but you know, I just thought it was a it was a dumb move, personally. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely so, agree with that. Yeah. Well. Let's let's move on to uh, to me being dumb because I actually said on last week's show that it was impossible. That was what I said. It was impossible for Jonathan Gresham and Zack Sabre Jr. to have a five star match. And, and I, th- I seem to remember saying that when you said that that I hope this ends up being a five star classic, just because of how good ZSJ is. But I agreed with you because Jonathan Gresham Jonathan Gresham is the perfect example of a vanilla babyface. He has no charisma. He has no enjoyability to what he does. It's just, okay, cheer for me because I'm good. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, even Bret Hart had more of a personality than Jonathan Gresham does. Hey, don't don't you better not start ragging on Bret Hart. I'll kick your ass. Oh, I love Bret Hart. Bret Hart is, okay. in fact, Bret Hart to me is probably my second favorite of all time, behind AJ Styles at this point. Yeah, AJ is AJ is my favorite of all time right now too. And and you know Jericho's also up there for me. Jericho is is three for me. He's right behind Bret Hart because I think Bret Hart did more with less. Gotcha. Um. Yeah, you know, you had actually said it was possible for these guys to have a, a five-star match, you know, if, if everything went right. And I said there was, there was no chance because really there was no story coming in. But what I forgot to take into account was how entertaining Zack Sabre Jr. is. So, um, Well, not just that. It, I mean, I agree with you that ZSJ is one of the most entertaining people on the planet. Mm-hmm. He, he can And you've bend met me, pe- so that's saying something. Right, and he can bend people and stretch people in ways that, just don't even seem possible. But I'm giving a lot of credit to this to Jonathan Gresham. Oh yeah, I am too. I'm, I'm just saying that you know what started me getting what started me like really liking this match was at the very beginning when Zach had his hand up to his eyes, like looking over the crowd, like trying to see you know where Jonathan Gresham was because Gresham is so much shorter than him. I, I burst out laughing, and that kind of like was an icebreaker for me to get into that to get into the match. I thought he was. I thought uh, ZSJ in the beginning of that match was just phenomenal. Yeah. I thought everything he did was 
was great right down from his entrance to like you said the, the looking over into the crowd to find out where Jonathan Gresham was and just he was such a perfect Suzuki Goon heel in a place where Suzuki Goon heels aren't known that it was really hard to not just love his presentation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I mean, like you said, I mean, both guys deserve a lot of credit in this one. And, and they were telling such a great story in there where, you know, it's clearly that Gresham was the stronger guy because he built like a, like a, you know, like a fire plug. Um, and then Zach was the sneakier of the two, as well as being, you know, probably the, the slightly more technical of the two. So, you know, while Gresham is using these power um, submission holds, ZSJ is always looking for, for a way, always thinking, always scheming, always working for the win. And, um, and you know, just, just twisting you in, into a million pieces. And, and, you know, that's how he's able to sneak out the win, basically, is because, you know, he's, he's doing all these other things to you. You don't think about the fact he might actually pin you and not make you tap out. You know, and I, I just thought that was a brilliant... Um, Brilliant, uh, a, I, a brilliant, a brilliant story they, that they told. I, that. I, I wanted to hear you struggle through that to come up with the word. And and uh, and you know the, the thing is, you know, I, to, to me this was one of those. Um, I can't pinpoint for you why I thought this was a fi- this was a five star match, other than to tell you that I, I that I had a, a um, treasure cast smile on, on my face the entire time. I was enjoying it that much, and, and I find that, and I find that happens more for Ring, with Ring of Honor than it does with any other promotion for me. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm sitting there watching, and I just cannot stop smiling. That's how much I love this match, and, there, and that's why there's no way I could have given it anything less than five stars. I get that feeling a lot when I watch Impact, which is weird for me to say because I, I've got two Impact wrestlers right now that have made multiple lists of mine for the most improved, for the uh, wrestler of the year, character of the year. I find myself grinning like that, and, and I, I'm the same way. Ring of Honor puts on some amazing matches, and they, they, for some reason, can find that perfect pairing to give you a great match. And Jonathan Gresham is another one who, were, when you look back at what he did with Jay Lethal, what, three months ago, that pile of dog crap 30-minute Ironman match, to where he was last night, could he possibly make your most improved of the year? Not with one match, no. Well, it's not just one match, though. You and I talked about it last week and the week before during World Tag League, or not World Tag League, uh, Global Wars. Every time he was out there, he was putting on a show, and we, we were thinking that a lot of that was because he was, his weaknesses were being disguised in tag matches. Well, he came out here against ZSJ, and he looked like a different person than he was in that in that Iron Man match against Jay Lethal. He didn't look like the same guy. He, That's he a fair like, point. I, I but I just, I I don't think that there's enough time left in, for for him this year for for me to put him in that category. Maybe you know if he keeps it up, you know the next year I definitely could see him as a front runner for it. Yeah, I, I I guess that's a fair point because he really did. I mean, what Global Wars was only what a month and a half ago. Yeah, something like that. And three months ago, we were talking about how horrible he is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I, I guess I get that. That's a fair point. 
I mean, yeah. when you're looking at rest, or most improved, you want to look at the whole year and the whole body work that they did, which is kind of odd that I'm throwing Jeff Cobb in that category. Because if you think about it, he he oh. really it was the uh, his work in the Young Prospect Tournament in what October. So he's had what a good solid two three months. Is he really a candidate for uh, most improved? <laughs> That's a good point too. Yeah, I don't know. So I, yeah. I guess I guess it depends. If, well, do you, but do you think he's improved that much since he was Matanza? And I think he has. Yeah, I guess he was Matanza two years ago now. Yeah. So, but man, his Matanza character—that was the shit right there. Even though you hated his debut. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was it, it didn't make a lot of sense and was it was uh and and I and I didn't think it was the greatest match of all time like you did. Oh come on, Dario? That was a perfect ending and a perfect character thing for Dario. Anyone who doesn't know, go back and watch Aztec War from uh was it season two of Lucha Underground? Yeah, if you can find it someplace. Yeah, it's gotta be somewhere. Well, unless you want to pay like forty bucks for the season on Amazon. Worth it. Well, okay, okay, then you, okay. Then you buy it and give me the login information. Season? Oh, really? Like I haven't done that for a million other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd both do the same. Do it. Yeah, it's a good point. Season two, though. Season two might actually be worth the forty bucks. I thought season two was phenomenal. Even though, even though there's less episodes than any other season. Yeah, they did so much more. I mean, that was when Sexy Star rose to the top and and was able to become viable for to win the championship in season three. You had Johnny Mundo and that whole mess. I mean, that was just great. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I just I don't know. I just I just am a am a bit angry that uh, Netflix took it off and never even add, adding the the more recent seasons to it. Well, yeah, they're sons of bitches because I haven't had a chance to watch season three or four yet. Well, they didn't even have them on there. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're sons of bitches. Instead of canceling it, why don't you add season three and four? Yeah, good question. So We've kind of gone off the probably, rails. Probably, probably for the same reason that they canceled Daredevil and Iron Fist and uh, Luke Cage. Well, come on, Iron Fist. I might be the only person on the planet that thought Danny was a good actor. <laughs> Uh, he is well. He was good on Game of Thrones, but he was terrible as Danny Rand. Oh, I thought he was perfect as Danny Rand. He was whiny, and he he reminded me of Luke Skywalker. <laughs> he just did. He was whiny, but he had powers. Um. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Back to wrestling talk. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so so you know, my what I typed before um, this match started was, um, please Gresham presently surprise me, and he did. Um, he did surprise me a lot in this match, and and you know th- these guys worked so well together. I would love to see a rematch between these two. Um, I'd love to see like an Iron Man between these two. I think. And I and I really don't know. If I, I want to see an Iron Man after after what we saw with well, with, uh, with 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 Rollins and Ziggler, and what we saw with uh, 
Saber and um, I mean Gresham and, and Lethal. But I mean, I think these two could really pull it off. It needs to go sixty minutes though. That's sixty minutes and and maybe all submissions. I think the problem with that I had the biggest problem with the Gresham Lethal match was the fact that it was a thirty man Iron Man match and they were acting like it was sixty minutes. The way that they were pacing each other in the beginning, it's like. Nowadays, going 60 minutes in a match is nothing. Well, I guess unless it's nothing if you're Kenny Omega and Kazushka Okada. Right. But it's just, it's not that impressive to wrestle for 30 minutes anymore. And the way they sold that match to begin with, which is another reason why I was so impressed by Jonathan Gresham in this match. They didn't come out like they were pacing themselves. They didn't come out like two technicians that were trying to feel each other out. They came out balls to the wall right from the get-go. And it was a lot faster paced than I'm used to. There was a lot more personality out of Jonathan Gresham and maybe a lot of that was ZSJ and the fact that he might be the most underrated wrestler on the planet right now because I just don't think he gets his due. They... There was something, something between these two, the chemistry, what they brought out each other, everything, that this was a clear-cut five-star match. They didn't miss a move. Neither one of them did. There mm-hmm. was no timing issues. It was the story that was told in the ring was just a one-upsmanship, which I, I get that. That's a great, it's an easy story to tell. But for two people that had no storyline beforehand, that's what they needed to tell. And ZSJ's character work in the beginning of the match, even throughout the match, where he was underplaying Jonathan Gresham and that uh, reversal at the end, the finishing move where uh, Gresham went for the pin or went for the bridge, but he screwed up and put his hands out, and then ZSJ just flipped flipped him over and did it with his hands tucked, was a perfect. It was this match to me was a perfect match. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, absolutely. And, and you and I talked about this a little bit earlier too, is, is that, you know, when we're compiling our, our list for matches of the year, um, you know, this one, this one is going to get high marks, not only because it was a perfect match, but also because it's only 12 minutes. And, and that, while that was, you know, a reason that I, like I told you that I saw some people online downgrading it a little bit because of the, because of the, of the length of it, it's also, it actually works in its favor when you're talking about, um, what matches you want to watch over again, because you can watch um, this match in, you know, a 15, in, on your 15 minute work break uh, or 15 minute break from work, your copy break. And, um, and, and, you know, you, you still have like enough time to, to take a piss too, you know, <laughs> and you, you, you can get more matches in that way. You know, from my standpoint, and, and maybe I'm old school because I remember the old squash matches and loved them, but I don't get as geeked about a 60-minute match or a 35-minute match or even a 30-minute match as I do about the story that can be told in a 12 to, you know, actually, let's go down to 10, 10 minutes to about 20 to 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. That anywhere in that er- area can be a perfect story told. Once you start getting past 25 minutes, then you start getting into too much of repetitiveness, too much predictability, too much non-believability, I guess, would be the best thing. Because you get to a point where it's like, oh, yeah, okay, he's kicked out of that move 17 times now. 
Right. And it just doesn't seem as legit. Like this, 12 minutes might have been a little short. I, I would have rather seen these guys go for another three, four minutes. But the fact that that surprise ending came out of nowhere. Did, did you think that ZSJ was going to pull it off at that moment with no. that move? No. Right after he just countered Gresham doing the same move? I think that actually led to the greatness of the match, too, because that finish came out of nowhere. I had no clue that was going to happen. Right. Right. It, it, reminded, me of, it reminded me a bit of, the, uh, of when Sabre lost to uh, Sonata at, uh, at one of the G1 matches, and, and that was one of my favorite matches of the year as well. But um, the difference in this one was that we knew that these guys were hold for hold, and whoever was, going, was the first to make a mistake could, could you know, end up losing the match. And you know, Sabre showed there that he's just a little bit um, – just a little bit, you know, better than Gresham at this point in their careers. Well, and they, I mean, when you looked at them, they were perfect molds of each other. I think right. Sabre has two years experience on him. They're about the same weight. The only difference is their length. I mean, Sabre is what, 6'2"? Gresham is what, 5'8"? So you take away their length and they're almost identical. Right. And I, But I do think that Sabre just showed that little tiny bit extra of I've been at this high level a lot longer than you have. Yep, absolutely. But it, I and mean, to me, to me, there was the only thing that keeps us, it's in my top 10 and I, I need to go back and, and look at it again, watch this one again. But the only thing that was missing from it for me was the storyline. Right. Because there wasn't one. Right. <laughs> So other than that, this this was a perfect match, absolutely perfect. It's five stars all the way. Yep, I, t- I totally agree. And uh, you know, and we but we knew coming in there wasn't there wasn't going to be a storyline, so we had to just kind of take it at face value. And uh, and I think that actually worked in this match's favor. Well, because like we said, it was just to see who was the best. Right. We know Zack Saber Jr. is a great technician. We hear Jonathan Gresham is. It was just to show who was the be- who was the better technician, and you know it came down to the right guy winning. It came down to just a good back and forth match throughout, and even the rest holds seemed to fit perfectly with what these two do. It, there was, I'm going to say it again. I can't say anything bad about it. Honestly, I just can't. No, I can't either, um, and. And so, you know, I want—I just want to say, great job, Gresham. You—you you did surprise me, and I, and I hope you keep doing it because, I, you know, I, I never want to be right about a wrestler not being good. You know what I mean? And I think the only thing—I mean, we've never doubted his in-ring talent. I think it's just been his character. And I, I do think that over the last month and a half during Global Wars, we've seen a different side of Jonathan Gresham. And if he can keep that up in singles matches like he did here against Zack Sabre Jr. I, I truly think that he is a front runner right now for uh, most improved next year. Yeah, and uh, and I would not disagree with that whatsoever. Now he's going to go out and lay an egg and become boring again. You know that, right? <laughs> well, please, I guess we'll see. Please, Jonathan, please, dear God, don't, because I really enjoyed this match and I want to see more like it. He's going to have he's going to have every opportunity to prove how great he can be with, with all the guys that, that have left for the honor last in the last uh, couple of days. That is true. I wonder how he would be as a heel. Um, or do you think he might be stuck as that babyface? 
I don't think he's stuck there, no. You but think, I think he could be maybe yeah, turn be. turn on Jay Lethal? Yeah, I think he'd be a very sadistic heel with the, with all with all the submissions. Let's bring back Truth Martinez to manage Jonathan Gresham. Martini. Martini, yeah, Truth Martini. <laughs> Stupid punishment. I haven't even decided one one for you yet. What's that? I haven't even decided on one for you yet. You ass. <laughs> well, I'll let you introduce the next match since you thought it was the greatest thing since uh, I don't know. I'm Man, having. No. I'm seriously having a hard time not saying this is my match of the year. Taven versus Dalton Castle. I think every part of it kind of hit a note from the storyline going in. The fact that. Um, Matt T- or that Dalton Castle, of course, comes out with his over-the-top presentation for the entrance, and then Matt Taven follows him up with refusing to walk down the aisle until he's he's called the real world's champion. It, you know, from that moment until that final bell, uh, when he when Taven finally beat Dalton Castle with the climax, which both you and I thought Dalton Castle was going to win this. Uh, no. so that, yeah, we did because we were looking for a, a, a unification match between him and Jay Lethal. No, you were. I said Taven was going to win. Did you really? Yeah. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> do we have that recorded anywhere? Well, yeah, of course we do. Um, whether the, whether the audio, audio quality is any, any good to listen to, I don't know. My wife says it's not. So. Yeah, that's what I heard. But we also did say we were going to build a fort in my living room, so I don't know what the hell we were talking about. Yes. I don't know. Where, I, where, are you, where, where are you on that, by the way? I've got it half built. I've got my child laying in it right now, which is why he's so quiet. Perfect. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, Get Taven your foot Cap- off his throat, you jerk. Wow. <laughs> Not my little baby boy. So, Taven Castle, I I love the story leading up to it. I love the fact that they had the entrances they did because as much as it was over the top and kind of distracting, it fit who they were as characters so good. It was like the perfect entrance for both of them. I loved the back and forth during the match. I loved the execution. There was nothing as far as moveset and, uh, and storyline being told in the ring that I had a problem with. I even, and you and I kind of talked about this earlier, the interference that they had, because of course we had the boys, we had the kingdom, we were going to have interference. But the interference that we had never really got in the way of the match itself until that one moment. But that one moment was such a good moment that I couldn't take that away from it. A lot of times when you get interference like that, it pisses me off because it's like, oh, okay, well, that's why this guy won. That's why that guy won. This was a unique version of interference where it ended up being the boys against TK Orion and Vinny Marcella and not Vinny and TK taking out Dalton Castle or the boys hitting Taven. You know, the boy getting sucked under the ring by Vinny uh, was, was good. TK Orion 
throwing, literally launching a boy into Dalton Castle to stop the cover, I thought was brilliant. It's just this match to me had everything that you look for in entertainment and in wrestling. You said a lot of things there. Um, and, and you know what? I, I'm going to say that it was a very, very good match, but it was not a perfect match. There, there was too much of the guys laying around doing nothing a bit. Um, poor Taven. I thought he would, I thought he killed himself on that barricade at first. Um, you know, it turns out he only hit his ribs, which you know was bad enough. But I thought he'd hit like his face was need to have like Bruce Beefcake type facial reconstruction surgery. Um, and the spot where Case where Castle bangering Taven into the post, that was awesome. But the part where Orion throws the boy in to break up the pin, well, yeah, it was great in the moment. And I'm glad that Taven got the clean pinfall victory. How in the world could the ref could would the referee not have disqualified somebody in that spot? You know, I mean, we're, I mean, this is, we're getting back to you know, my, my, my uh, qualms with the, um, with the addiction versus Briscoe's match from the last ROH pay-per-view. But I mean, that to me is just, it takes me out of the match because it's like, you know, it, it makes no sense for the referee to just back up and say, Oh, well you interfered in the match. So I'm going to disqualify your guy. But even if he did, did, even even if he didn't see what you know, he didn't see what Orion did, so as far as he knew, you know, Castle's Castle's um, getting pinned, and he or Castle's uh, in this situation, and the boy jumps on there to attack Taven. But, you know, the match should have ended right there by all intelligent rights for by a referee, except for one small detail. What's that? The boy attacked Dalton Castle. So. So. Why are you going to disqualify Dalton Castle because the boy attacked him? Well, then you disqualify Taven. It really doesn't matter. I mean, for you still, what? You, you st- for what? The boy attacked Dalton Castle, not Taven. Right, right, right. So Castle gets attacked by one of his by one of his own guys. You still disqualify Taven for that? No, not when you know the boys. And which boy was that? Was that Britta Brandon? Who the fuck cares? I kind of do. No, you don't. I think these guys need to get a little recognition for all of the craziness they do. And seriously, the whooping before they do anything has got to go away. I'm sorry. That's just bad. But the... Plus, the other thing that they interfered with and that you think, apparently don't, don't think matters is Taven was throwing... Cast, Taven did the kick to the king and, and would have not cast to the floor except for the boys caught him put him back in the ring and allowed Castle get an unfair advantage. So, so you know, they, they did do more in this match to interfere than what you're trying to sell it as. Maybe I need to watch it again. Maybe I was just caught up in the moment and still geeked from the Sabre Jr. Gresham match. Um, it's a possibility that I was on a high already, and this one came in and was really, really good, but maybe not the five stars I gave it. Um, maybe it was a five star, and I just didn't. I'll have to watch it alone with nothing else involved. Just that match. Okay. And since yeah. it's on my since it's on my list, I plan on doing that. But off, on the offset right now, it's one of my top two or three matches of the year. Yeah, and I've got it at four and a quarter. So I didn't. So I did like it. I just I'm not going to give it the high marks that you gave it. And I, I and I wa- and I watched it earlier, and I did not change my rating whatsoever. I, I don't. 
I just I like the way it was done. I I just I like the fact that like I said the interference really didn't affect anybody. The it was just fun interference. I thought Castle and Taven worked well together. The only thing that I will say that kind of and and I don't know if it was in fact, it looked like it might have been planned, and maybe it really was a callback to the T.K. O'Ryan moonsault where he broke his leg. Um, when Matt Taven hit that hit the guardrail, because if you notice at the very last minute, you see Dalton Castle kind of catch him to slow him down a little bit. So I'm kind of wondering if that that whole spot was planned as a callback, because wasn't it against Dalton Castle and the boys that he that T.K. O'Ryan hurt himself. And broke his leg. Um, I I don't remember who was in that. Ma- no, I, was it Castle in that match? Because I think it was against some Mexican guys too. I thought it was Castle and the boys when they won no. a six man tag. Because didn't they win them from? Hmm. I could be. Yeah, I could be wrong about that. I I, I don't remember. It was a year and a half ago, but it just right. the imagery that I got as soon as I saw him hit that guardrail. I was like, holy shit! He just broke his damn neck. Yeah, and I know. It, it was the same thing because TKO Ryan. I had that same feeling when TKO Ryan missed that moonsault and hit the railing. Right. You know, and then when they showed the playback and you saw Dalton Castle kind of catch him, it seemed more like it was planned than anything as as more of a callback. But I I just I thought every part of this match worked. Hey, we'll see we'll see if my mind changes when I rewatch it as a solo match and not part of a pay per view. All right, fair enough. Um. The next match, I, I really don't have a lot of notes on it either. I just, I mean, it was Skrull versus Daniels. And, I mean, it, it was a very good classic old school pro wrestling match. I thought this card, I thought this card needed a match like this. I thought it was very good. Um, I honestly could not tell you, like, a lot of the spots in it. I just, I just didn't make any notes because I was just kind of entranced with, with watching the match. These are just two masters in there working. And I ended up giving it four and a half stars. I, I, I can't remember why I didn't give it a full five, but I did go four and a half on it. I gave it four. I I liked it. I thought it was good. I just, there was no reason for it. You know, that's the part that bugged me. Is that no, there, ma- no, there was. It was, you know, Daniels was trying to keep his job and Skirtle was trying to prove that he deserved to, to be the number one contender. Why? He already beat Christopher Daniels for that number one contender spot. Because he wanted to prove that he could do it without Adam Page setting up Daniels to be hurt first. It doesn't matter. He already beat him. There was no reason for this match. There was. I'm telling you what the reason was. You just reject the reason. <laughs> I reject the reason. <laughs> the reason is dumb. Why? Why would you give up your number one contender championship opportunity when you've already beaten a guy? It made uh, no sense. It made no sense. When has Marty Skrull ever cared? He's a villain for a reason. By hook or by crook, he doesn't care. It made well, no the, sense. The story yeah. made no sense to me. The other reason was that he wanted to be the guy to, that he wanted to be the guy to give Christopher Daniels his last match. He pretty much already did. <laughs> <laughs> the last match Christopher Daniels had was Survival of the Fittest against Skrull. Um, I don't think that was the last match he had. Yeah, it was because he was supposed to be a part of the tag team championship, and he wasn't because he got Jade Drillard on the entrance ramp. Hasn't wrestled since. All right, fine. 
So it, it just the story to me made no sense. That's why I knocked it down. A, a, the match itself was good, but it's what you expect. It's what I've come to expect out of Marty Scurll. And Christopher Daniels has three decades of showing us what he can do. So that didn't come as a surprise either. I just, the match was good for what it was. I think it went a little bit long, which is odd because anytime I get a chance to see, see Marty Skrull, I'm all excited about it. But I just, I couldn't give it higher than a four. Mainly because of the story, but. I mean, I mean we're not that far off. It just, it, you said, I think that you're putting way too much in, into not wanting the story to be what the story was. I, I always have. You know that. Well, let's move on to uh, Bully Ray versus Flip Gordon. Speaking of stories. What the fuck was Flip's girlfriend doing out there when she didn't, when she obviously didn't give a shit about what was going on? That was his I mean, wife. She was there for support. They're not married, are they? That's what they said on TV. They said, they said Flip's girlfriend. I thought they said Flip's wife. No, they did not. Regardless, she was there for support for her man. Yeah, yeah, okay. When when she was looking, watching him get power bombed through a table and looking on like she couldn't give the world's tiniest shit. But he gave up almost everything to save her from getting power bombed. Yeah, because he's a good guy and she is just a bull digging bitch. <laughs> Speaking of gold digging, this pile of crap that we saw, <laughs> I I couldn't even give this two stars. I, really exactly, I gave it two. Um, it, you know, and what I, the way I phrased it was, there was about 10, 10 pounds of wrestling in a 50-pound package in this thing. It wasn't even that much, was it? Maybe not. I mean, there was and, – and, I was talking about, and not even two minutes ago, about Taven and Castle and how the interference didn't feel like interference against the wrestlers involved. This was nothing but interference against the wrestling involved. Right. It was nothing but a, a, an old ECW sideshow. And you've got, what is with Silas Young and his loyalty? Why is Cheeseburger always the one to run to people's defense? Sandman shows up. What the fuck happened? Where did this come from? Why was this on TV? I just, there was nothing about it. And then, oh, we got kendo sticks galore. Why is a kendo stick all of a sudden the most dangerous weapon on the planet? You know, you know what? Seeing... I, I, you know, I have a problem calling it a kendo stick even. It's a fucking Sing- Singapore cane. I'm not going to be politically correct and, and, uh, and call it a kendo stick just because some just because some people think that it's like offensive to Singapore or some bullshit. Well, we've got the same thing in TNA or impact with um, Eddie Edwards. Why is the kendo stick or Singapore cane, whatever it is, why is it the most, in, it, the, hor- the worst weapon on the planet? Hey, you don't, you don't be talking down to Eddie Edwards, best friend. Kenny is Eddie's best friend and you don't say anything bad about it. You understand? I'm hurt. I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know. This this match was a pile of crap, and I couldn't rate it higher than a one seven five. At, at the very highest, I, I there's yeah. nothing I liked about it. Nothing, nothing and I liked about it. And it's a shame because this, this you know, it's a storyline that's been going on in the promotion for you know the better part of a year, and for for it to end in, in this kind of a of a you know match, I guess you know is is a 
disappointing to say the least. Well, not just that. It was it. The storyline itself is in my top five. Right. The storyline was great from from the first moment Flip showed up, but to have it end this way, I just, oh, it's just bad, just bad. I agree. Yeah, anyway. and it, yeah, it was it was bad, and um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I I enjoyed the Silas Young parts of the match, but that's pretty much all I enjoyed in it. I enjoyed the Silas Young parts because I thought that he was eventually going to turn he or turn face, and and my wish was going to come true, and that we were going to get Bully Ray just beat down by the only guy that trusts him, but that didn't happen. And then we got a Sandman spot. Seriously, Sandman again? I get it. It's the Hammerstein Ballroom. I get it. We don't need Sandman again. Yeah. Well, and and you know that that was I think he was in there because it was put kind of put together more pieces from the from the entire story since he was the one that lost the match that um that Flip ended up getting beat down with the Singapore cane and taking those ten lashings from um from Bully after it. But but yeah, I agree. I just. I did not want to see Sandman again, and uh, at least he was—at least he wasn't in there doing a 20-minute entrance like he did with fucking Wrestlecade. Let's not even talk about Wrestlecade ever again. Let's pretend that never happened. But I thought you wanted to make sure we saw it next year so we could see the rematch between Vampiro and Crazy Steve in a cage. Let's pretend it never happened. <laughs> well, let's move on to a match that I'm sure that you rated a lot higher than I did. Um, and before we get to it, I just, I just want to say that I am a big fan of Cody Rhodes as a person. I'm a big fan of Cody Rhodes as the big guy idea. I'm a big fan of Cody Rhodes as a character. But when it comes to his professional wrestling, he is very, very hit and miss for me. And this match missed huge to me. Um, you said in a text to me that Cody was was brilliant in this one. And I disagree. I mean, his character work was great, but I mean, this was a recent Cody Rhodes match through and through, which by which I mean, it's following the model of John Cena versus the rock where it's just, you know, a bunch of big moves all in a row. And there's, and then there's, you know, there's, there's these, uh, there's these entertainment spots, you know, they, they either, they either work or they fail. And then, you know, he hits a finisher and then that's pretty much it. I mean, I mean, this match was all finishers by Cody Rhodes. There was nothing else he was doing in this match. And for him to, and, and then, you know, not only that, but he hits, you know, there's interference, he hits a finisher. There's interference, he hits a finisher. There's interference, he hits the fucking vertebraker. And yet again, somebody kicks out of it. And I cannot stand that whatsoever. Um, I, loved, I loved the way how vicious Jay Lethal got at the end. That probably saved it from being a complete dud for me. But but then they brought it down again by Cody Rhodes tapping out to the figure four in the middle of the ring. Just like, you know, I, I'm always going to have a problem with, with somebody t- tapping out to the figure four. I'm going to have a problem with the figure four winning a match at this point. It's, Considering it's just, the it's, master of it, couldn't even finish a match with it? Right. I mean, I mean this is, and this is 2018 where there's so many other finishing moves. I get that Lethal's trying to make an effective move again. I do get it. But as long, but I just cannot see that in 2018, that this being a, a great move, and for Lethal to to choose to go that route, and then for Cody to just tap out to it, I can't see Cody tapping out to that move either. So, I mean, the the match I thought was an absolute train wreck, an absolute travesty. 
and it was what I feared we were going to get when I when I told you I wasn't that excited for this particular match. And you know, I tried to I tried to talk myself into liking it um, coming in, and it was I thought it was absolutely awful. It might be my least favorite match of the year. See, and this is where it's funny because you right now sound like I did when we were talking about the Osprey Lethal match at what is it? I can't remember what the name it was. Yeah, but I'm not. But I'm not whining about one of the wrestlers not wrestling the way that I the way that I'm used to them wrestling. I mean, this is exactly what I expected, and and it and so that for that reason, I just cannot get on board with it. Wait, did you say whining? Yeah, I'm not whining. I'm expressing myself in a very feminine manner. <laughs> That's not called whining. Men don't Ass. complain; they bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, I don't know I I remember actually thinking about this match about halfway through and saying this match is better than Cody versus all this too it's not to me it was everything that I expected everything that I wanted I, I knew Cody wasn't going to win that I mean that was never in question and a I lot care, of that. I don't care. I don't care one iota about who won the fucking thing. It was a piece of shit. It. There was there was no there was no actual wrestling in this match. There was more wrestling in that fucking um, in that fucking uh, I quit match than there was in this one. I think the character work in this was a little underrated by you. If, because if because you, I don't care about it. Because I don't use, if, because I because I don't care that I said Cody was great as a character in this, but that doesn't that has nothing to do with the actual wrestling. I mean, this was a great entertainment match, and I don't want fucking entertainment in Ring of Honor. That's what I thought. That's what Cody left WWE to get away from, and that's what he's been developing this entire year as his shtick. Sometimes it works, but it does not work against Jay Lethal. It did not work against. Juice Robinson, and that's why that's another reason why I'm dreading that match at Wrestle Kingdom because it's just gonna be more of the same. I think more, I, I think more, I get more, it. More of Brandy interfering, more of sloppy wrestling, more of finisher kickouts, more of Cody acting like he's shocked that somebody could kick out of the crossroads when people kick out of it every goddamn time he hits it these days. I mean, it, it's just it's just a whole bunch of moves put together. It's not an actual wrestling match. I get it now. Okay. I, I do get it. Stay okay. with me for 30 seconds until you okay. under. You are a fan of face Cody, not heel Cody. Mm. Uh, no, think about it. You don't like the facial expressions and the, and the brandy interference. You don't like the, you don't like the heel Cody. What you like is the scrappy underdog face Cody. And I get that. I, I do truly get that. For me, the reason why I like this match so much is because if we look back over the last, God, six months, mm-hmm. we even talked about this in, an episode, in one of our shows at one point about how brilliant he is because he can be a face on a Friday night in Ring of Honor, and then on a Sunday night in New Japan, he's a total heel. And he was able to, in about 15 seconds, at the beginning of this match, 
go from super face Cody where everybody loves him to this despicable heel Cody. His promo before the match, even though it wasn't it was it was really not as believable as it probably could have been. That promo at the beginning of the match where he tore down New York, right there turned him heel. And at that moment, he had to be heel. And if you listen to the commentary, if you listen to everything, everyone sold the fact that this is now heel Cody. Two months ago at, uh, at Global Wars, Kevin Kelly is praising Cody about how great he is and how good of a, uh, a character he is and how good of a person he is. Ke- Kevin Kelly did everything he could to s- sell the fact that Cody Rhodes was this horrible, horrible person because he even throws Brandy Rhodes to the wolves. He did everything he could with his character work, not just his character work, but the in-ring ability, where the fact where he where he was shocked that the crossroads got kicked out of. The fact that he did one big move after another. He went from face Cody that we saw at NWA 70, face Cody we saw during Global Wars, where he was technical, he was in, in sync, he was everything, to playing the exact opposite role here, and he was the perfect heel in this match. That's why I gave it, a much higher score than it probably should have been because he was able to go from this guy who was loved. Everybody loves Cody in ring of honor to this pile of shit heel that everybody wanted to see, get his ass kicked in what? 20 minutes. That to me is an amazing accomplishment. And the fact that he was able to pull it off so seamlessly to the point where the ending of the match, him tapping out, was almost the perfect cowardly deed. It was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm done. So he taps. After getting kicked in the face twice, lethal injection, then getting kicked in the face two more times. To me, it was the reason I bought into it and the reason I loved it so much was because of Cody's work. I thought, in all honesty, I thought the way that he was able to sell himself as a heel after being a face to the Ring of Honor crowd for so long, was one of his best works of art ever. And and I hate to say that. And Jay Lethal, I thought Lethal, the beginning of the match when Cody was, was doing his heel turn and he was becoming that asshole. And Jay Lethal just kind of stood there like, yeah, okay, whatever. I, I thought it was great character work by Lethal. I thought it was great character work by Cody. I thought the whole match led to that great character work where you now had a changing of the guard. You had Cody as this despicable heel that was a horrible person, and and you had Jay Lethal as a scrappy underdog who was in control and the better man but could just not put Cody away. And you could see where it was frustrating him. And you saw it at the end with those kicks and the lethal injection and the kicks again. I just, I thought this was a great, great match when you looked at the whole thing in a retrospect and as a, as a whole. 
yeah, if you want to look at all the entertainment parts of the match, then then sure, you can certainly view it through rose-tinted glasses and see, and see everything that you just said. And and I and I do agree with the character work. That's the thing. That's that's what that and mostly Jay Lethal's character work is what stops it from being a dud to me. But I cannot stand this type of a match. I cannot stand a match that's epic for the sake of being epic. And that's what these guys did yet again. This is this is what Cody's style has been for most of the year. Um, it worked. Again, you know, I, I loved his match against um, Nick Aldis at the 70th anniversary show that you hated. Um, I loved his match against Kenny Omega at um, at um, Fighting Spirit Unleashed, I think it was. Or one, anyway, yeah, one of the uh, was one of the US yeah one of the US shows, and, and and you know, I mean, I loved his um, I loved his match at um, Wrestle Kingdom against Kota Ibushi. I think you and I both liked the triple threat that they had together with those guys. But I mean, for the most part, Cody's actual in-ring work this year has not been the type of professional wrestling that I like. I mean, this, this match, remind, like I said, reminded me a lot of the kind, you know, that, that epic style where finisher kick out, finisher kick out, finisher kick out, surprise move, finisher kick out. It's just, it just, it's not professional wrestling to me. It's, it's entertainment, but it's not professional wrestling. Now I'm going to agree with you on a lot of that. I, the Cody, um, Omega match at Fighting Spirit Unleashed and the triple threat with Ibushi is those are two of my top 15 for the year that I've got to try and narrow down to fucking five. Why do we have to narrow them down? Because uh, we don't do a six hour show, dude. <laughs> but those two matches are in my top 15 right now that I'm trying to narrow down. In fact, I actually, when I was going through my initial list, both those matches were in my top five that I recalled right away. Okay. So, you know, I agree with you. I think Cody has been on point for most of the year. He's had some missteps, I will agree. I think he's a much better babyface than he is a heel, which is odd because I still have his feud with Omega and battling for um, leadership of Bullet Club as, my, as one of my storylines of the year. I, I think he did phenomenal heel work then, and I love seeing him as a heel. But he, his matches, his actual matches, when he wants to be an entertainer, he's a heel. When he wants to be a great wrestler, he's a face. And you've seen that throughout this entire year with his, different, uh, his difference between Ring of Honor and New Japan. He puts on much better matches in Ring of Honor than he does in, in Japan. And a lot of it's because of that character work. But when you look at this match and where he was, what he was trying to accomplish, we all know Cody's leaving. He's done. He, him, the Bucks, Adam Page, they're gone. They're doing their own thing now. As wrestling fans and anyone who listens to this show, you know that. So for him to come into this match and do that 180 to that heel, and put Jay Lethal over the way that he did. Because if you look at this match and the way that it, what it took for Jay Lethal to win this match, entertainment or not, it was a hell of a performance because he took Jay Lethal, who you and I both agree has had one of the worst title runs in recent history. He all of a sudden took Jay Lethal and made Jay Lethal relevant it, it's hard to explain but you look at a guy 
has there been a guy over the last, well, since All In, actually since probably about two months before All In, fuck this entire year. When you look at what he did with Omega and the Bullet Club and all that, and then All In, and then the NWA run, and now the U.S. run, is there anyone that has been hotter this year than Cody? I mean hotter. I don't mean better wrestler. I don't mean wrestler of the year. I mean hotter as no. far as the name value goes. No, there's not, definitely. So you get, you get Cody Rhodes who at this, his final pay-per-view with Ring of Honor, his final match with Ring of Honor, he takes a guy who was having a very lackluster championship run and he set Jay Lethal up to become a mega star in this coming year. I think his character work was just amazing because of that. Yeah, you keep going back to the character work, and I keep agreeing with you on the character work, but the, the, the problem is that you're acting like the character work means that you can't have a great wrestling match, and, there, and there's yeah. ways to do that. I mean, I mean, you know, Ric Flair, what, what did Ric Flair do? You know, you know, Jay Lethal's supposed, um, you know, Oh, don't tell me I lost you again. <laughs> don't tell me you crashed again. Can you not hear me? No, I can't, no, yeah. What the hell? I was talking. I, I, I think I'm... And I hear echo, which means you're unplugged. Are you plugged in again? Are you there? How about now? Can you hear me now? All right, yeah, I can hear you now. No, I get I get what you're saying, and maybe I'm misconstruing what I'm saying. Um, it's just the way that Cody was, and yeah, the entertainment value was a little bit far-fetched, but I think he had to do that to portray what he needed to portray. He had no, to that's, go... No, that's just his style. That has nothing to do with what he needs to do. It's also 12 years in that environment, too. Sometimes you've got to give him a little pass. Well, yeah, but I mean, I really enjoyed his work in that environment. I don't enjoy it here in Ring of Honor, and I, and I don't know if it's because he's bringing too much of it over. He just hasn't found that found that right balance yet. Um, you know, I just I just can't um, agree that you could that he has to you know that he can be entertaining that he can that that the entertainment entertainment has to get in the way of the wrestling is what is my point. You know, I, I mean, think he's he had, you know he had some great wrest- he had some great matches in, in Evolve. He could have easily just done that same style and then just you know then just you know we had the cheating come in or you know he's you know we get so so frustrated that he can't win with his wrestling then then he starts these antics with brandy and stuff he doesn't have to be his his number one plan to have these antics and shit that's my think i think and i and i agree with you i but i think he has proven throughout the year that he can be that guy who who is that top-notch wrestler first. And then he didn't do it on the biggest fucking stage. But I think there was a reason for it. Because when you look at what he needed to do in his last match in Ring of Honor... What, piss me off? Besides that, I mean... Piss me off? Dude, I piss you off 15 times a day. It's not like it's that hard. But I don't. But I don't pay you to do it. Uh, I said hard. <laughs> you didn't pay that either. <laughs> we got that shit for free. Well, no, we didn't get it for free. We paid, well, we we paid, paid sixty some dollars. Yeah, yeah, but look at all the entertainment value we get for sixty bucks. It's for free. That's right. Yeah, you but, heard me. 
we have ten minutes left of the show, so we're going to talk about the main event at all. We're going to talk keep talking about this piece of crap. <laughs> it wasn't a piece of crap. I gave it four stars. <laughs> I give it one, and I was generous giving it one. I think we are going to have to agree to disagree on this. I think you're wrong, as usual. <laughs> I'm sure will... people, well, I'm sure there's more people that are going to agree with you than agree with me. But that, hey, that, doesn't, Ryan. that doesn't make me wrong. It just, it just means that I want my wrestlers to wrestle and not to try to try to be epic. I mean, this match reminded me a lot of another match that you and I disagreed with. You know, another one is is uh, AJ Styles versus John Cena from SummerSlam, like what 2016. Oh, it's you, heel you, turn. Yeah, you, you thought, I, I thought so, that was phenomenal. Yeah, you thought it was, and I thought it was a piece of shit because, again, it was just move after move after move. There was no story involved. I think you have to look deeper than the move after move after move. Seriously. I think you have to look into it a little bit deeper because you have to look at what Cody was trying to do, not only for his and I And I would be willing to do that if he'd actually tried to actually wrestle the match instead of doing, like, eye rakes and pokes and brand new interference and kicks to the nuts and crossroads. And again, I will never forgive the, the Vertebraker being kicked out of. So anyway, I, that I did have a problem with that. I am not going to lie. The Vertebraker should never be kicked out of. That should be more protected than the one winged angel. Seriously. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. So, so we've got like eight and a half minutes left now. So actually nine minutes, I guess. So um, the main event, originally I, I had given five and a quarter stars to. And then I rewatched it again today, and I couldn't give it quite that high a mark because there there were some spots where um, where they did where they did they were just a little bit off, and also um, and I was going to forgive that I really was uh, because I just loved the whole story where it was the Briscoes were basically waiting for to till they basically killed all of their opponents. Um, and and then try to climb the ladder. And I thought, well, you know what? They did that. You know, they, they put that story together. It was a fantastic story. Um, everybody else is flying around trying to win the match. The Briscoes are just trying to beat everyone down so that they can climb the ladders and get those championships. I mean, it was to the point of them doing that where Riccoboni was wondering, well, don't they even want to win the match or they just want to hurt people? And and the the answer was yes. They wanted to win the match, but they wanted to win the match by hurting people, by making sure all of their opponents were completely incapacitated to the point that they couldn't fight back, and they had their best chance to win their 10th world championships. The problem is with that, there came a point in the match where um, where Mark had just gotten slammed onto the ladder by Kazarian, and Frankie was still in the ring, and then... Um, in order to set up a spot, Jay started climbing up the ladder. Now, did it mark it down a lot for me? No, but it marked it down enough that I just am not able to give it that full five and a quarter. It's going to be, it's going to have to be to um, be content of being just a five star match. I'm giving it a five star match too, um, but and it's another one of my top fifteen that I'm seriously going to have to go back and rewatch because. I did have some negatives with it, some things that maybe should have kept it um, a little bit lower than five stars, but I forgave it because of all the other greatness in it. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that Nick Jackson disappeared for the last 10 minutes of the match hurt it. Um, I well, he got, well, he got, th- he got thrown through a table face first, dude. 
Well, and, yeah, and he off the top and of the ladder, but and he, and he didn't hit the table square, which is one of the spots I was talking about. And you know, I, I'm just glad he's he's still alive. Who's the guy that rem, you, that he reminds you the most of? We've talked about it many times before. Jeff Hardy. You think Jeff Hardy would have laid there for the last ten minutes of a match after a move like that? Did I lose you again? Oh, my dogs! My my dogs really need to stop knocking my my uh, mute button. <laughs> anyway, oh yeah, blame the dogs. Blame the dogs. I, I just did. Uh, oh. I, I went. To, I went Nick Jackson to have a better post career life than I think Jeff Hardy's going to. So I'm I'm kind of glad he stayed down. In fact, I'm kind of amazed that in their very last match in that promotion. They're willing to go out there and do that. I mean, what if they got in a serious injury when they're starting, you know, when they need each other to be starting when they're starting their own promotion? You know what I mean? What I want to know is when did they start channeling 1990s rockers? <laughs> you noticed that too, huh? What the hell was with those <laughs> outfits that came out in? They were Sean and Marty. What do you want me to tell you? That was brutal. That alone was like, what the fuck? I looked at that and went, what the fuck? And then I rewound it to look at it again because I, I don't know. I thought it was um, great, um, but I, I had an issue with that. But I, uh, and and I love the sledgehammer spot too. Yeah, the sledgehammer spot was good. I thought it was. Um, I liked the way Riccaboni played it up, um, simply because it was one of those things that I wish they had done in WWE. The five billion times Triple H pulled out that stupid sledgehammer. They never once talked about how the fact that you swing that shit at somebody, it's going to kill them. Right. Yeah. You know, and and the fact that Riccoboni actually went there with it made it a much better spot than it probably should have been. Um, the fact that Frankie and Mark were a puddle of blood as early as they were at one point was great, but at the same time, it was like, really, what'd you guys do? What happened that you got that fucked up that quickly? Yeah, I had no way. I have no idea how how Mark got busted open. None. Was it? Yeah, it's. I mean, Frankie made sense because he got hit in the face with that ladder. But Mark, right. there was no reason for it. Right, as far as I could tell. Yeah. It's just all of a sudden you looked at him and he was just a crimson mask, and it was like, okay, wait, what? What happened? Did I miss something? Do I need to rewind this? I, I thought the match itself was great. I thought there were a lot of high spots. There were a few things that took it down a notch. Like I said, the fact that Nick Jackson disappeared for the rest of the match, the fact that we kind of knew as much as we didn't know the outcome between the Briscoes and SoCal and Censored, you knew that the Young Bucks weren't going to win this. So it basically was a two-man tag match. Uh, or it was a two-team two-team match. But the surprise victory at the end, I did not think the Briscoes were going to win that at all. No, I didn't either. And and I wouldn't, and I, like, and unlike you, I didn't come in like, like fearing, like it being predictable, really. So, you know, I mean, I mean, that, that did not play any kind of iota into my feeling about the match. I just, I was just in awe watching these guys like destroy each other. It really was. And why is a, why is the ladder war so much more painful to watch than a TLC match is in WWE? Uh, blood. 
No, it's it can't and, just and, be and, blood. And and it's not and it's not scripted. I mean, I mean, these guys are going out there, and I and I, and I well, I really think they know what what the big spots they are going to do. I don't think they know you know exactly what they're going to do, and there's so there's just not that scripting. Um, it's it's more free flowing, and I think that they're just. Um, you I mean, this is, 19... this is the, the cuffs are off. You know, they're... you think they're nineteen eighties calling it on the fly wrestling? Not nineteen. Well, no, not not that not to that extent. But I mean, I I do think, like I said, they they know their big spots, but I don't think they're they have every move step for step planned out, and um, and it's also just like more, like more raw and more fresh. I mean, the, the crowd is a big part of it too. I think. Yeah, that's true. The um, other thing, too, about this match that really kind of jumped it up to me, and we, what we're down to like two and a half minutes now? Uh, yeah, just over two. Matt Jackson. I, I don't think it's a secret to anybody that listens. Definitely not a secret to you. Um, Matt Jackson is my wrestler of the year, bar none. There was a chance there where Marty Skrull might have slipped in. <laughs> But he's now dropped down to about number seven, number eight. I don't even think he's in my top five. Yet. Hey, you know what? Go fuck yourself. That's what I'm saying. Oh, you're just way too little. Party. <laughs> 90 seconds. Why do I hate you so much? I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm I'm very happy that you that you get you got that kind of a laugh out of me this late in the show. That's pretty that's pretty funny. <laughs> Just really. <laughs> anyway, it, it Matt Jackson solidified wrestler of the year for me with his performance in this. He was selling that back injury again. That's been a solid twelve months he's been selling that back injury. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. Um yeah, the one thing I would say about Matt Jackson in this match as a bit of a negative is when did he become Rhino? Because he hit like three, he had like three massive spears in this. Match. The one, the one through the ladder might have been my favorite. That was yeah, that was awesome. They're, they're having like that that uh, ping pong thing with the ladder and and Matt's right. just like, I'll, I'll end it right now for you guys. It was great. That was good. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're not going to get to our social medias as much. Follow us on Facebook. We've got to get that in. Uh, hashtag King of Honor on Twitter. Uh, I know, Ryan, if you're listening, um, which you usually are, let us know what match you thought was the best of this. Um, you know, and Facebook searches King of Honor on Facebook. Uh, like the page. Share the page. Give everyone Share it with everyone because we, we, we need the hits so that Shane can <laughs> afford better internet. And uh, bye. Goodbye.